get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Webb gets the strikeout, and the Cardinals take game two of this doubleheader. They hold on three to two. A hard-fought win and a split of the doubleheader. With Jamie Rivers, who is back in studio, and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I'm running out of adjectives, boys. I'm running out of them. This rotation is amazing, and what we saw from KK yesterday and what we saw from Ponce de Leon yesterday is simply the latest reminder of this. I can't believe how unbelievably successful, how incredibly efficient KK has been this year. Does he still make you nervous, BK? I was about to say that, Jamie. I once (laughs) said on this here radio show after his very first major league appearance, which came out of the bullpen, not as a starter, that KK made me nervous. He no longer makes me nervous. (laughs) (laughs) When you are being grouped together in certain statistics with the one and only Bob Gibson, You've had a damn good start to your career here in St. Louis. After throwing seven scoreless yesterday, Kim now has a 0.33 ERA in his five career starts. Rather, That is the second best ERA in a pitcher's first five career starts among all players to debut in the last 107 years when earned runs officially became a statistic. It's pretty good. That is pretty darn good right there, Jamie Rivers. You know what? I was wondering how he was going to come back after this minor setback little injury thing he had going on there. And I was worried that he wouldn't be able to go as many innings. And judging by how deep the Cardinals have had to go into their bullpen of late and looking at that, I sat there and I'm like, gosh, KK's got to get got to get to five innings he's got to in order to, to make this work for the Cardinals especially with the double header happening and then another one coming up this weekend and or two days from now um, and he did it and he did it like I don't want to say with ease but man watching him pitch is fun it's so much fun I love watching him pitch against the the lefties where they go just reaching for that one breaking ball that he throws out there and then when's the last time you've seen a pitcher shatter two bats in one game by having it come inside on batters yep. who are swinging at this pitch, but it's obviously changing uh, levels for them. 
and it's shattering bats. It's incredible. I was so impressed with that. Uh, that uh, he, for me right now, if the World Series started tomorrow, he might be my guy going out to the mountain the first game. Okay, so that's where I wanted to get to next. Because right now, you have four pitchers on this staff that are in the top 30 in all of baseball among all pitchers that have thrown at least 20 innings this year in ERA. KK has the best ERA among 150 starters that have thrown at least 20 innings so far this year. 150. He's first. He's the best ERA in baseball among those starters. Wayno's 25th, Hudson 26th, Jack Flaherty 30th. If you went into the three-game series, that first wild card quote-unquote series right now, who, Jamie, Ferrario, would you have as your three starters going into that series? Because you've got four really good options right now. Who would be your top three, and how would you set them up? I would, you could set them up. I would set them up as KK going game one, Flaherty game two, and Wayno game three. And I say that just because if it gets to a game three, because this is a two out of three series, right? Yep. We're talking. If it gets to game three, I've got my wily veteran on the mound who can handle all that pressure. Whatever you throw at him, he can handle it. I think KK is still an unknown for a lot of batters in this league. I think that this 60-game short season still won't give enough of a book on him. And I think you could jump out to a quick one nothing series lead by throwing him out on the mound. And then, oh, imagine that your backup pitcher, your next guy up is Jack Flair. Who's really your ace? And then Wayno to close it out. That would be that would be the way I would uh, set up the rotation. Yeah, I'd set it up the same. KK start things off. You get the lefty, and, and obviously he is your best pitcher right now. Flaherty is the two, and then you figure if you're not winning the division, you're going to be at home in Game Three, and that's Wainwright's expertise. And like Riv said, you get the you get the veteran who knows how to close things out there, and then you have the opportunity to have Hudson and Martinez out of the bullpen immediately for you. So yeah, it would be K Flaherty and Wayno as my one-two-three punch in a postseason. So yeah. Yesterday, I had this different, and after seeing KK once again, I can't go against him. <laughs> he doubted him I, again, I can't. He did yeah. doubt him yesterday, Riz. I, I had him as the fourth <laughs> starter, and I'm just, I'm wavering all over. I'm lost at sea right now. I, I'm going back to KK. Um, I have my three as Flaherty getting game one, Wayno in game two, and KK getting game three. Going into the next round, the divisional series, that's when I would start Hudson in game one. Because we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but it sounds like they're going to go with very few off days in this postseason. Based on what I just read earlier today from Tom Verducci in Sports Illustrated, they might have zero off days. Yeah, they want to get through this. They want to be able to finish it. They're flying through this bad boy. So in some respects, that could be good for the Cardinals because they've already had to play this sprint of a season in a way that no other team in baseball has. The, the, uh, the Marlins are close. But the Cardinals have had the most strenuous schedule of any team in baseball this year. So they're prepared for that. They're ready to go. And they certainly have the arms to be able to throw in a in a series like that. I would have Flaherty, Wayno, KK. You guys would have KK, Flaherty, Wayno. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Would love to hear from you guys as well. KK is your closer on that series. That's To me, that's a curious pick. And I ask you what got you to that decision because I look at it as I, I would like guys who have been there before, right? So Wayne was my number one pick. If I had to go with a second pick, it would be Flaherty because he's pitched in big moments over here. I know KK's pitched over across seas in Japan, or I think it was in Japan, right? Or Taiwan? Korea. It's Korea. Korea. Yeah, okay. I, sorry, guys. I got it all wrong. I'm just Taiwan. I'm figuring out this baseball thing. Uh, so to me, I don't know if I would want to put that guy in that situation 
based on the fact that mm, he's never been there before. I'm hoping that I can close it out in two. I mean, I've got Flaherty and Wayno on the mound in games one and two, so I'm I'm giving my best shot to win the first two games of the series, and I'm going with who is my guy in number one. I'm giving Jack Flaherty the ball. He he's your ace, and if he doesn't get it done, well, now we're going to Wayno, who has been there in every possible big spot this year to be able to come up when you need it the most. He's going to stop the bleeding if indeed you are not able to get game one, and then in game three, if you get there, I go KK. But my hope would be, based on what we've seen from this team and this rotation so far, you don't have to get to game three. And then KK can start game one in the DS for you, and you move on from there. But that's kind of how I got there. It's not so much about who I want to start game three. It's the hope that you never have to get to game three. But if you do, I think KK's got to be the choice there right now. I said yesterday it's Hudson. I just I, I can't pick against KK at this point. I think he has to be the choice in that game three. I think Flaherty would be good as a closer out, too. I mean, honestly, oh, there's you, no bad choice. Yeah, you could flip any of those guys. The only one I wouldn't do is I wouldn't start. I wouldn't start the series with Wayno. I think Wayno's better suited for a a middle of the series. If you don't go well in the first game and you want to kind of get right or if it goes great, and you want to close it out. I think Wayno's suited for two. I think you could put Flaherty at the third start and close out the series because that's like prime Jack Flaherty situation of of big time pitching. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11:13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll be joined by Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 11:30. From what I understand, I think he has some new info on the Alex Petrangelo situation. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up here in just about 15 minutes. Rick Horton will join us at 1:30. That was the good from yesterday. The good was the pitching. The bad was they almost wasted that great pitching because of their offense. I think we have found, Jamie, the biggest issue for the Cardinals offense. We'll tell you what that is and a potential offseason solution to it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. We were talking before the game that we we don't think we're this stagnant of an offense, and so you know really we need to just trust ourselves and know what we're capable of as a group. And so you know looking forward to us bouncing back tomorrow with some some big hits. That was Paul DeYoung yesterday after the game. The Cardinals pitching was incredible yesterday, and they nearly fell 0-2 in that doubleheader because their offense did what their offense has done for much of the season. They were five for 20 with runners in scoring position in the second game. They were one for five in those same situations in the first one. That ain't good. Jamie, there are two issues with this offense right now and really all season long. They have no power right now. They are 24th in Major League Baseball and slugging percentage. And second of all, they have an issue with their outfielders driving in runs. I went through this morning and did a little bit of accounting on what their outfielders not named Dexter Fowler have done with runners in scoring position this year. It was somehow even worse than I thought it was going to be. Their outfielders named Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Lane Thomas, and Austin Dean combined this season. Those five players. Where's Ravello? Doesn't count on this. I didn't mention him. Because <laughs> he's the better of all of them. You don't have Tommy Edmund? Those five guys are combined 12 for 81 with runners in scoring position. Again, 12 for 81. That is a 148 batting average. Stop saying it. They have struck out 34 of those 81 at bats. That is 42% of the time. That is abysmal. 
And they have 14 RBIs in those 81 at-bats with runners in scoring position. Jamie, it is very clear what is plaguing this offense right now. I mentioned the lack of power that has been apparent from day one. It is also that they have a black hole right now in center and in left field when it comes to hitting with runners in scoring position, and they have yet to find anybody to be able to actually fill those with any sort of production. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's we've talked about it several times, and that was the number one thing for me overall as a team is the amount of uh, runners left on base that they don't cash in and how many games became losses or too close for comfort because of that reason. And now for you to isolate the outfielders and looking at these numbers, I mean, it's really bad. It's awful. It's really bad. It's as bad as it can get. And none of them are good in those spots. Tyler O'Neill has failed. Harrison Bader is three for 17 in those spots. Dylan Carlson was maybe the worst defender in these spots. And you guys know that I'm the president of the Dylan Carlson fan club. He was terrible whenever he was up with runners in scoring position. Lane Thomas is 1 for 12. Austin Dean 0 for 3. Your guy has really struggled in that spot, Ravioli. Um, So it it just it hasn't been good no matter who has been out there in center and then left field. And so I want to take this to the next level with you, Jamie. Yesterday, we were able to talk talk to Mark Saxon. And I asked him because the biggest outfield bat on the market this offseason is going to be George Springer. I asked him, does he think that George Springer would be somebody that would fit what the Cardinals are trying to build here? Here's what Mark Saxon said yesterday. I would expect the impact moves maybe to be, you know, because of the economic situation to be more along the trade trade lines. And that could mean, and I think they're going to have to look long and hard at moving some of this pitching depth for offense. And, you know, maybe it's a George Springer type player on another team they're willing to part with because the Cardinals dangle a pitcher that's so exciting. But, you know, that just may have to be the route they're going to take. But as a name, I really like that in terms of the fit for this team. So Saxon thinks that it's more likely to be a trade than it is to be a signing. But let's just use George Springer's name as kind of a fill in here, right? Because he said whether it be George Springer, the player in the offseason as a signing or somebody that is traded that is similar to that type of a bat, that's maybe the type of player they could be looking at this offseason. George Springer's a really good player. He's a really good player. He has an 872 OPS over the last few seasons. He, I know people are going to bring up the trash can thing. His home road splits are not a concern. He's been every bit as good on the road as he has been at home. So it's not just the trash cans that have been a big part of what he's been able to succeed with at the plate. He's a really good player. My question to you guys is, do you think that's enough? Is just adding one bat to fill some of these issues that we just talked about, to take guys like Lane Thomas and Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, Austin Dean, all of those guys out of left field. Now you've got a guy like George Springer out in the outfield that you can play every day that you feel comfortable with. Is that enough for you? Would that um, make you feel much better about the offense going into next season? Or is it bigger than just any one player to be able to fix what is plaguing this offense, in your opinion? Well, it'd be nice to get a couple players, right? But I know how that uh, that's going to be difficult. I think getting a guy like Springer would actually solve almost everything. You know, if you look at Harrison Bader lately, yeah, he's 3-for-17 with runners in scoring position. Not pretty. But overall, he's really turned turned it over here. I think, you know, when he gets up to bat now, he's not an, he's not an automatic out. And I, I, for me personally, I feel like he's trending in the right direction at the plate. Now, it could be short-lived. Who knows? I'm not sure. But I feel like his defense, coupled with the way he's batting right now, to me, I'm okay with him in the lineup. Dexter Fowler, 
uh, you know, sexy Dexy. We've complained about him several times, but he's the most consistent guy we have. And then if you add next year a Dylan Carlson who is coming off the bench or your fourth outfielder, and for some reason he figures it out, he gets into a groove and he he actually becomes that bat that we know he's going to be eventually, well, now you have everything solved. You really do. Because if you have Springer out there, let's say Harrison Bader's not doing the job that he should be doing. You put Dylan Carlson in center field and maybe his bat activates Dexy. We know what he, we're going to get out of him. So for me, I think one move like this could absolutely change uh, the offensive output of the team. I mean, I'm not sure, but yeah, you know, I, I think it helps in a couple of sense. Now I go back to what you guys were talking about with the crossover with Danny Mac, because I, I think there there is a circumstance where these guys are trying too hard at the plate. And maybe that's a little bit of the mindset on the manager side and just kind of the, the, the hitters approach. But if you get a player like George Springer, I don't know where you guys look at this, but I would look at a George Springer as you're putting him in a two hole spot, right? Yes. So uh, your problem when you go through all of these names of O'Neill and Bader and Thomas, it's basically your six through nine. Like that's where the problem well, resides. That bump everybody down. Yeah, Edmund would then become Edmund one becomes of your six, a six hole. Yeah. Edmund becomes a six hole hitter. Yachty drops to a seven hole hitter, and then you're putting a Bader slash O'Neill, or you're putting a Fowler in the eight hole, or Carlson, or a Carlson. Yeah. So what that it does could end up being really good. It Alex. helps it out. One player. I don't know if it changes everything because I think it's a mindset, but it does adjust your batting order because. Your runners in scoring position, unfortunately, continue to fall to O'Neill, Bader, Thomas, everyone from the six through nine spot. And that's a major problem right now because those guys can't hit. Yeah, because the middle of the order has been good. They're like, getting on base. You look at what Mills he's done this year. They're all getting on base and they're just staying there. Exactly. And Edmund got the the the, uh, the uh, tying RBI because it was in the two hole. You spot. bring up Mills. He's cooling off a little bit. I'm he a little, is. I'm a little worried. He was swinging yesterday. He looked a little out of whack. Ravioli's heating up. He was though. getting low, but. It's like he was swinging while leaning away from the ball. And I'm like, Melzy. You're getting a toasted ravioli right now, though, Ribs. I understand, but I was like, Melzy, he's trying to yank everything now. I think he's got to stay put and stay through the ball. Yanking doesn't help. His best hitting has been like to that left center field area. Yep. Never mind cranking back and leaning back, trying to pull that thing out of the park. So I'll go through. This is what a potential lineup could look like if they were to do what I'm suggesting with George Springer. You lead off with Wong, and I hope he's back next year because everything that we have seen so far this season, that that play that he had mm-hmm. yesterday to end, I think it was, it was the Arcea. sixth inning. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. I mean, just an unbelievable play. Bad. And with the pitching that <laughs> they have right it. now. No, I'd be day-to-day right now. Both <laughs> hips dislocated. With a guy like Dakota Hudson who plays to contact, he pitches to contact, you you need a really good defensive infield, and he helps them there. So they've got to bring him back next season. George Springer batting second. Goldie third. DeYoung fourth. Maybe you go Dexter Fowler fifth there. Tommy Edmonds sixth. Yachty seventh. Carp slash whoever is the DH next year, eighth, and now you've got Bader batting ninth. Okay, I'm in. I, I I think that starts to look more like a lineup that you feel really good about with this pitching staff that you have, with all of the arms that you're bringing back next year, potentially in that bullpen. Now you're talking about a real contender. Mm-hmm. I really do think it might be as simple as they're one guy away. They're one bat in the top four of the order away. Whether that guy be who we've talked about so much with Nolan Arenado oh, or yeah. Francisco Lindor 
Or maybe it is as simple as, hey, you go out and get the top outfielder on the market. And is George Springer an all-star? Is he a perennial top 10 player in baseball? No, but he's a really good one. He's a slightly better Dexter Fowler. Like he gives you a little bit more than what Dexter Fowler has given you. And I think that's kind of what this team is missing. They're missing a consistent player that can hit towards the top of your lineup that now takes Tommy Edmond from the top of your lineup towards the middle or the bottom of it. And now you start extending things and you get a little bit more power in there. I think that's all they're really missing right now. They have a black hole in the outfield. I think a guy like George Springer could be the answer for you there. That's what they could look to do in the offseason. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jeremy Rutherford might have some new information for us on the Alex Petrangelo sweepstakes. He's going to join us to talk about it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Here we go. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, how you doing today, man? Doing well, boys. How you guys doing? Oh, doing fantastic. JR, what's the latest with Alex Petrangelo that you can tell us about? Yeah, I spoke to him a couple times over the last few weeks, guys, and I've written it at The Athletic that uh, there's been no progress on a deal with him and that he uh, seems to be disappointed with how it's been handled. You know, the past few weeks uh, he hasn't wanted to be quoted, and so therefore I kind of summarized the situation in my articles. I know he had a quote uh, yesterday in Pierre Lebrun's piece basically saying the same thing, echoing that disappointment. I spoke to him yesterday, and again, not wanting to be quoted, I just get the sense that this is a guy who's tired of playing the game for the past 15 months in terms of getting a contract extension done. And for the first time in all these conversations, um, you know, I I believe that he's committed to making some plans to talk to other teams. So we're three weeks out from free agency October 9th. The Blues are still obviously in this. Uh, things could change dramatically if uh, Doug Armstrong puts forth an offer that Alex Petrangelo will accept. However, I just think the mindset has changed in the past couple of weeks that I've been talking to Alex Petrangelo. So, JR, this is kind of what happens, right? Because we had Brett Hall on here a little while ago last week, and we had Chris Pronger as well, who, in my opinion, two of the biggest names to ever leave the St. Louis Blues. And they kind of summed it up the same way, saying it got to a point where, you know, Pronger through trade and Holly through free agency, where you just they just didn't feel wanted anymore here. And when they truly believed that exact statement, something clicked inside and they changed and they were moving forward and not looking back. How dangerous is this game that's going on right now, these negotiations to where, you know, Alex Petrangelo seems like he's pretty close to that line right now. Yeah, I do think it's dangerous. I do think the uh, the examples that you gave are, are similar in terms of high-profile players and negotiations that went on for weeks and months. And then for whatever reason, uh, the players moved on. We know that Brett Hall wanted the no-trade clause. Uh, they wouldn't give it to him, and he left. You know, Imagine that, out. by the way. They wouldn't give <laughs> him a no-trade. Imagine that, JR. <laughs> It's absolutely unbelievable. And, and, you know, a lot of people said that uh, the Blues uh, thought that Brett had worn out his welcome and were fine with him moving on at the time. Mm-hmm. With Chris uh, Pronger, you know, the situation, they wanted to clear the books is what the uh, the, the company told Dave Chickets. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the previous ownership, Bill Curry, that uh, they wanted to clear the books and get the salary off and, and uh, they would have an easier time selling the team. 
eventually to the Dave Checkett's group. And so that's kind of the story behind the Chris Pronger thing. The situation here, I think, is a little bit different because I believe the Blues do want to sign Alex Petrangelo, maybe more so than the Blues wanted to keep Brett Hall at the time or keep Chris Pronger at the time. But it's a, it's a situation where he's standing his ground and he's been pretty strong about what he wants. And one thing needs to be clear. I think that he will accept a hometown discount, but it needs to be at the terms that he's looking for. And there's a lot of things that go into that, whether it's the length of the contract or whether it's how the contract is structured uh, with, with signing bonuses and such. And I just don't think they're there yet in terms of uh, Alex being close to accepting the offer. So two things, JR. Um, one, do you think it's a little more frustrating for Petro knowing that he's willing to, you know, take a little bit of a hometown discount and they're still not getting close? And, and two, you know, what do you feel as far as the length of this, the way it's going on right now? I just wonder, does Petro feel like even a hometown discount won't get this done? Yeah, I think it's a situation where, as I said, I think he's willing to take that hometown discount, but the other terms need to be in his favor, quote-unquote. And I think you look at the situation, I believe the number to be right now about $7.7 million that the Blues are offering. I also know, uh, just in conversations with people around the league, that uh, he could make 8.5, maybe even close to $9 million, perhaps. You know, that's what uh, talk around the league is. And so you're getting closer to that date where Alex Petrangelo can smell a different opportunity. And, you know, you, you go back to what you said just a minute ago, do you feel wanted? You know, perhaps it gets to a point where Alex Petrangelo, even though the Blues have heavy interest in wanting to resign him, he doesn't feel wanted at that point. So I, I think it's a situation where as we get closer to this October 9th date, uh, while an 11th hour offer still, that possibility still exists, I just think the percentages increase in terms of Alex Petrangelo potentially moving on. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic, joining us here on the show. Uh, JR, do you think this is more about the cap or the contract? Like, are we talking about a situation where if the Blues had the cap room this offseason, they'd be willing to give this contract out to Petrangelo? Or is this about the contract and the term slash money that Petro is going to command? What do you think it kind of leans on here? It's a great situation. I think it's a little bit complicated. Let's say the cap did go up to 85, 86 million, 87, like they were projecting. I still don't believe that the Blues would be offering $9 million. I think all along they've had in their mind 8 million, 8.25. So no pandemic, nothing. I don't think the Blues are offering uh, 9 million. Now the Blues find themselves in a situation where the cap didn't go up. It's po- probably not going to go up for a few years. And they're looking at life in the NHL a lot different post uh, COVID. Not that we're through it yet, but in terms of the salary cap, we know what it's going to look like for the next few years. And I think they're trying to get a number that fits with the cap. And right now I said that number is 7-7. Seven, seven. Do they eventually come up to 8-8-2? Eight, eight, get the deal done and then eventually have to trade off parts like they did with Jake Allen to, to make it work. You know, I do think that that's possible, but in terms of, is it salary cap related versus what do they want to pay Alex Petrangelo? I think right now it's what do they want to pay Alex Petrangelo? It's, it's under 8 million and it's trying to get everybody in the cap and not have to trade off a couple more assets to make it possible. JR, I want to be fair to you here because I know you are just reporting the news. You are not the one that is making these decisions, but I do find it, I mean, 
curious would be an understatement for this, but are they really willing to let their captain go for half a million dollars? Like, are they are they willing to say, nope, 7.7 is the highest that we are willing to go. We're not willing to go up to 8.2 now that the cap is staying flat. That that just seems kind of crazy to me. But am I reading that correctly? No, it does seem crazy. And I do think I've said this all along for months and months that I thought there was a 75 percent chance that Alex Petrangelo uh, would be back. And, you know, feelings aside, getting it close to the uh, October 9th uh, free agent date aside, I still do think it's possible. And and for the reason that you just mentioned, because, you know, another five hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, another seven hundred thousand dollars a year makes it possible. Uh, I, I just think that if you let him go that window closes a bit and now you have a situation where you have a major hole on defense and then you have guys coming back like Tarasenko who knows when he's coming back you know then O'Reilly these guys are a little bit past their prime in terms of their age and so how long does that window stay open if you have to find somebody to replace Alex Petrangelo in the next couple of years? And so to me, that's what it's about. But I believe that Doug Armstrong knows the importance of him, wants to get a deal done. He just wants to get it done at his terms. JR, I got the sense right now with as much, uh, quite honestly, I, Petro has been uh, talking to more people than I thought he would be at this point. I get the sense that Alex Petrangelo really wants fans and media to understand that this is not about him trying to squeeze the last dollar out of an organization, that he truly wants to stay a St. Louis Blue, but he'd like to be taken care of accordingly. I get the, I, That's the feeling I get from it. Do you see it as gamesmanship on part of negotiating tactics right now? Or do you think that, Alex, it's really important for Petro that the fans know that he's not just walking away, doesn't want to be remembered as a guy that just left the Blues because he was greedy or something like that? I think it's twofold, Riv. I think he legitimately wants to stay in St. Louis. I think I asked him that question a couple of weeks ago about his legacy in terms of a statue, in terms of number retired. He said he feels like he'd have to do a lot more uh, than he's done so far to get those. Uh, but you're talking about potential another cup or two. Uh, the family being here, of course, they, they just had a, another a fourth child. I think that he'd like to stay settled here in St. Louis. So I think that's the biggest part. But I, I do think that you make a great point that, you know, perhaps he has been a little bit more outspoken about some of this because he wants the fans to know what's going on and hey look you know i'm not trying to criticize uh, doug armstrong for his comments but that camp is relatively quiet and the things that doug armstrong says is that we want to get him signed so that's what people have to go on in terms of the blues position that doug armstrong has continuously said we want to get him signed i think what alex is trying to uh, bring to the forefront a little bit is that hey look everybody i want to stay i'm willing to stay i'm willing to take the hometown discount but i have to have some of these terms in my favor and i do think you're right i think the fact that uh, he's putting that out there um, is a, is an example of him wanting people to know the truth. JR, I know you said that 75% was where you were at with Alex Petrangelo re-signing with the Blues previously. Where are you at now? Has that percentage for you dropped in recent days after being able to talk with Petro and kind of get a new read with new information on this situation? Yeah, I would say you'd have to drop it a little bit, but here's the thing you have to differentiate. You know, all along, people said, are they going to be able to clear up enough cap room to keep him? And it looked impossible, and I always said, hey, look, they're going to clear the cap room if there's a chance to re-sign him. So to me, it's it's kind of two questions. 
all along. Would he come back based on them clearing the cap room and making room for him? I thought there was a high percentage chance of that as long as they found a deal, found some middle ground. Now as we're a month or two, three months after I threw out the 75% number, I do think you have to say 50-60% just based on us being three weeks out from the free agency date and these guys are still standing where they are. So things can change in a hurry. Look, Riv, he's seen this movie a thousand times. Uh, things can change. And all of a sudden, uh, Alex Petrangelo is, is saying that he's glad to remain a blue and glad they worked it out. I'm not saying that's happening. I'm just saying that at this point, that's not where they're at. So I think you have to lower it from the 75%. JR, we always appreciate the time and incredible reporting on this. We will continue to read your work over on The Athletic, following you on Twitter, at JP Rutherford, and following all of your insider reports for us here on 101 ESPN throughout the week. Thanks for the time, man. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Yep, have a good day, guys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll talk. We'll get your questions for questions and answers coming up next. But I want to react to what Jeremy Rutherford just had to say because, I mean, there are a few quotes here from him. I get the sense that this is a guy that is sick of playing these games. I believe he's committed now to making plans to talking to other teams. And then I think he would accept a hometown discount, but on his terms. None of that gives me a ton of faith, a ton of optimism as a Blues fan. We'll react to all of it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you missed any of our interview with Jeremy Rutherford, I would highly recommend checking that out on the podcast page after the show today. 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it in the pod center. All right. A few of the things that he just had to say, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, but this is basically what JR had to say, and we can react to these afterwards, Jamie. Quote, I get the sense that Petro is a guy sick of playing these games. He continued, I believe he's committed to making plans to talking to other teams. JR also said, I think he would accept a hometown discount, but on his terms, he believes JR does that eight and a half to nine million dollars could be possible for Petro on the open market. Not here in St. Louis, but on the open market elsewhere. Easily. He also said. Eight to eight point two five million dollars would probably be where, where the car or where the Blues were going to be at on their offer if there was no pandemic and the cap did not stay flat. But because the cap stayed flat, now they're looking at seven point seven million dollars is where they want to be. It seems like based on the comments from Jr. Eight point two eight point three might be what Petro is looking for. My big question, my singular question coming off of that interview with Jr. is how in the world. If you're Doug Armstrong, and I know he's done so many amazing things here in St. Louis, and he deserves all the credit in the world. I'm taking this individually in this particular scenario. How can you afford to let Petro walk over half a million dollars per year? That just, again, I'm no hockey operations guru. That seems crazy to me. That seems like it would be down the road viewed as a pretty big mistake in my mind. Well, ultimately, if he walks over that amount, then, yeah, I think we scrutinize it. We're not there yet. Of course. Right? Like, so that's why I look at it is is Doug Armstrong right now. And this is all hypothetical because we don't know the numbers that have been exchanged. We don't know that. I mean, Petro might be asking for 9.5. I'm just going off of what JR just told us. That's it. Totally understand. But even that, I don't know if Army has disclosed that to JR or who. It is what it is. And I trust the information that JR is getting. I'm just saying right now, nothing is finalized. 
And what I mean by that is the 500,000 you talk about walking over, that may never happen. But right now it seems like a, a silly stumbling block to be going over. I look at it in a way that Petro right now, other teams in the league, almost every other team in the league, almost, okay, uh, would put themselves in salary cap hell to acquire an Alex Petrangelo. And they would figure it out, as we hear from time to time from the GMs. A lot of teams, maybe not almost every team, but I'd say 20 teams out of the 32 teams would definitely put themselves in salary cap hell if they could acquire Alex Petrangelo. You don't think the Toronto Maple Leafs would put themselves in salary cap hell to acquire Petro, and they would, what, figure it out. So that's the thing for me is, and I don't know, nobody knows yet, but if I'm uh, if I'm Doug Armstrong and I'm controlling the team, I'm thinking of, yes, maybe it's salary cap hell, but you know what? We probably just need to figure it out and get this done. I, and again, I see where JR is coming from and I understand his percentage drop. I still, and we talked about this yesterday, BK and Rivs, we just mentioned it on the podcast earlier with Burton and Fandango. I still feel like this is going to be a last minute push from the Blues. I think this is just the beginning of it. And I, I see this turning out to be something like what Steven Stamkos did. The only problem that the Blues have is if you piss him off enough to where he doesn't come back to the Blues. That's the risk right there. That's the one I'm worried about is we all have a, a certain amount of pride, right? And and imagine a guy like Petra, who's a captain, Stanley Cup champion, proud of all of his, his own accomplishments, pr- certainly proud to be a St. Louis blue and Alex you and I talked about earlier this is a guy that bleeds blue you know no matter what and now maybe he's not feeling the love and I think that that can make things crazy sometimes now the emotion comes into the contract negotiation and that's where it always seems to fall apart so I'm hoping that the representation for Petro Newport Sports do a great job I'm hoping they're keeping things level on their side, and I'm hoping that Doug Armstrong is keeping things really just, you know, just keeping a steady heartbeat over there so that we don't make decisions that are just based on emotion. I will say Ben Fredrickson had a really great article on uh, STL Today this morning comparing it to Pujols, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, Not saying because Pujols went to an Angels team that never had success, and I think Petro goes to a decent team, you're going to see success because he's that type of player, but... You really got to take that in consideration, I think, if you look at it from that perspective and learn a little from what Pools did, because not only are you going to go through the rest of your career with another team, but you might go through the rest of your career with another team who doesn't respect the accomplishments as much as what St. Louis did. Or you'd be at Brett Hall and go win three cups after you leave St. Louis. Very true. I mean, it all depends on what team you sign. I I find it funny that we always go back to the Pujols thing because, of course, that is the one here in St. Louis that makes most sense. I compare Pujols' situation more to David Backus, a player that's got more wear and tear on their body, closer to the end of their career than the midpoint of the career. That's where I now, not as far as star power is concerned, but where they were in their careers. I consider the Backus situation closer to the Pujols to where you're getting a good player, but it's not like he used to be, Mm -hmm. and more than. I would see the Petro pool. And baseball is such a different sport too. Like hockey, I mean, ho- one player can change a hockey game. One player cannot change a baseball game. This would be more like the Tigers letting Max Scherzer walk. Like you, you're letting yeah. a guy that is one of the leaders of your team go, and and it's over. In my opinion, again, if if what we just heard from Jr. is true, and we're talking about half a million dollars a year, it, it's over something that is just kind of silly. And I looked this up just a minute ago. There are 11 NHL defensemen making more than. 
seven and point seven million dollars per year right now. I bet 11. you with seven or eight year deals too. All of them. Yep. All of them are at a minimum seven or eight year deals. There's one that's fourteen for Shea Weber. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> come on. I was, I, yeah. I just I, I I'm having a really hard time right now looking at some of these numbers that you see across hockey and taking this seriously. This this can't be the. I don't believe that this is the max offer is what I'm saying. I, I don't I, I refuse to I allow myself to believe that the Blues are going to stop at 7.7 and say we are not willing to go up from this. I because still see it as the are, Stamkos thing. It, it just it, I, I, do, I won't understand it. I'm reminded by these situations every day when we talk about it, how non envious I am of being Doug Armstrong. I mean, in the most respectful way. This guy has put together a Stanley Cup championship team, followed up with an incredible year, and what's the thanks he gets for it? Well, now he's got to make one of the biggest decisions, if not the biggest decision in his tenure of being the GM for the St. Louis Blues. So life is tough for Army. That's why he's got the job. But uh, come on, Army, let's get this one done, buddy. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. This is questions and answers, so I want to at least make sure that we get to a couple of these really quickly. From the 636, maybe it's just me, but you already traded Jake Allen, also known as a salary dumped. So what do you have to do now to keep Alex Petrangelo? I do find it interesting. Let's stay on Jake Allen for a second because we've talked a ton about what they still need to do. Tyler Bozak, that's probably the contract that has to go. Do you think if they are not able to back and say, ah, would have been nice to have Jake Allen this year, especially given what could be a pretty daunting schedule if they have to start late and still try to finish close to on time. Yeah, I don't think they regret it. I think that this was this move was happening no matter what. They they obviously believed internally that Vili Husso was ready to make that next step or he doesn't get the one-way contract. Now, I know they were painted into a bit of a corner because he had to sign a one-way deal or he could have become an unrestricted free agent out on the market, but either way, you don't just hand those out, especially when you're Doug Armstrong. We've seen how, how hardball this guy plays all the time, and he's not just handing out courtesy contracts so I think the Blues are fully intending on Billy Husso to do the job, and I don't think they would rethink that Jake Allen deal. Yeah, this was exp- this to me was going to happen as soon as they handed that one-year contract, which I also believe you're going to see a defenseman possibly move this offseason because they gave Mikola that one-year contract or the one-way contract. It, mm-hmm. it was it was destined to happen as soon as Doug Armstrong gave that contract to Billy Husso. Final quick one from the six one eight. Do you guys think the Blues are going to let Petro walk because they feel the offense needs more help than the defense? No, because Craig Bruby's team doesn't work that way i mean he doesn't if that was the case you'd see a running gun blues team where petro would not even be a val colton pareco even like some of the stuff that the blues do the tight checking the forecheck all that wouldn't be the same so uh based upon what i see from craig berube and the way he coaches his team it's defense first and you create offense from retrieving pucks from the opposition not the other way around and you would have heard a lot of those coaches in the exit interviews and armstrong talking about how the offense needs to be better and they need to build it up in the offseason they didn't say that all it was all about just unfortunate circumstance they know that the team is still a contender next season two rough starts in the nfl one not the same old player just the same old player and another might be leading to a trade sooner than we all thought we'll tell you about it coming up next on 101 espn we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn When you watch him and Rob Gronkowski yesterday, the first thing I thought was, 
my goodness, it is not 2014. And that's what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to understand. This is not going to be we're going to get all of Jameis's yards, all of Jameis's explosion, all of Jameis's talent minus the interceptions. You don't have Jameis's explosion. You don't have Jameis's arm talent. You don't have Jameis's fearlessness. So you have to be ready to play a different game if you're Bruce Arians. This yes. ain't the old time. This is just the old time. Oh, whatever. Oh, Ryan Clark coming out hot. Okay, so here's a problem I have with Ryan Clark right now is, one, I think he's a fantastic guy. Stalter and I had him on a long time ago. Just an amazing interview. Great guy. Very knowledgeable. Now, where he falls short on this one. Now that I gave him all the props, okay, let's hear where you're going to lambast him. No, where he falls short on this, guys, is he's taking one game as an evaluation. That's ridiculous. Who takes Tom Brady in a one-game evaluation where there was not a preseason game, no real formal snaps taken with a brand-new team, with a brand-new offense. So for me, a one-game evaluation and people you know, going crazy like they are, it's absurd. I can't imagine, honestly, BK, in true honesty here, can you imagine if Patrick Mahomes in the same situation in one game, one game, people say, oh, he's gone, that's it, he's lost. You would be frustrated. Yeah, but it's not the same. It's not the How same because, not? because Tom Brady wasn't good last year. And so that that's where you Without lose Tom me. Brady, they're even worse last year. Agreed. But what I'm saying is this this for a lot of people. And I said yesterday and, and Ferrario can account for this. I said, I'm not worried about the Bucks. I think they're going to turn it around this week. I think they're going to be fine. But it was very clear that he was not on the same page specifically as Mike Evans. It looked like a lot of broken plays out there. Yeah. To me, it looked like a bunch of guys who really haven't figured it out. Yet. Now, that being said, it looked to a lot of people like a continuation of last year because that is what he looked like the last time that we saw him and so it's more the Matt Carpenter conversation and we'll see I think he's going to turn it around once again to to, to couch that a little bit but I think for a lot of people what they saw in week one was oh this is the same guy that we saw without the weapons whenever he got the weapons so I'm going to put two and two together that equals four Tom Brady's done I'm not there yet I still want to see it if he struggles again this weekend against the Panthers then I'm going to have some more questions, but I picked them. Yeah, like, let's be honest. It was the New Orleans Saints. It wasn't a gimme game. Absolutely. And I, I picked them to win that division. I still think they're going to be a really good team this year. I am not out on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at all. They had a really bad week one. They went up against a really good team. And I think that's as far as I'm willing to go on Brady, unless they struggle again this upcoming weekend. Then I'm going to have more questions. I do have a question about the way that Bruce Arians has handled all of this, though. Because it's been a wild ride over the last 24 hours to 48 hours. Bruce Arians yesterday said, quote, Tom Brady knew he didn't play very well. It's not what he expects from himself, nor what we expect from him. I would expect him to have a little bit more grit, a little more determination this week. He continued. He looked like Tom Brady in practice all the time. So it's kind of unusual to see that in a ball game because they didn't do things that we didn't get ready for. Everything they did, we thought we were ready for. Again, that was Bruce Arians talking about Tom Brady publicly to the media. That is something we never heard from Bill Belichick publicly. Privately, I'm sure he said a lot of those things to Brady in meetings and whatnot. But Bruce Arians is coming out public, basically saying, hey, Tom Brady was wrong. He said this about the Mike Evans play. Tom Brady read that wrong. Mike Evans was correct in the way that he read that. That's on Brady. He also said that the pick six, that's on Brady. Bad throw by him. 
I will be very interested to see how that goes over with Brady because he went there to have fun. And this doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. Yeah, to me, I guarantee you that Brady walked in that office and, and gave Bruce Arians a piece of his mind. At the end of the day, what have you done, Bruce Arians? I've had a bad game. Yeah. How about a little bit of a benefit of the doubt here, buddy? You know, like you haven't exactly been t- carrying titles home here in Tampa Bay. So settle it down just a little bit. You got something to say to me? Let's talk about it. You want to say something to media? Give him a little nugget to nibble on? You know, I'm sure Tom Brady was fine with the way he said, uh, you know, this is Tom Brady in practice. They didn't do anything different. That's fine because that's all they've had to do is practice. They haven't had any game situations. Now, to say that Tom Brady should have a little more grit, a little more determination after a 22-year career, I think you better go check yourself, Bruce. Relax just a little bit here because he runs the risk of if Brady turns on him, several guys are there for the specific reason because Tom Brady is there. Yep. And you'll lose the room and then forget it. The players always went out. Arians will be selling vacuum cleaners by halfway through the season and somebody else will be in there. I'm not saying it's the right decision, but I wonder if Bruce Arians is trying to light a fire under Tom Brady. I wonder if he's trying. I don't trying... think you need to do that with I'm, the greatest. I don't think so either. Ever in but the game. I wonder if Arians is trying to to try some type of method that he thinks is going to work on this guy that might come back and bite him in the rear end. But I mean, why else would you be calling out a six-time Super Bowl champion after one game? You're not that dumb. You've been in the NFL this long. This is Bruce Arians. Like, yeah, like uh, I hate I hate to be that guy, but this is what Tom Brady signed up for. This is what you, we all knew who who Bruce Arians is. He's the guy that you'd love to go sit at a bar with at the end of the bar and have 17 drinks with on a Thursday night before he has a Friday 7 a.m. wake up call. Like this is Bruce Arians. He's a little. He lashes out. He speaks freely. He's a free spirit. He's going to ask you to throw the ball deep. Like, this is Bruce Arians. He's going to have to learn, though, a little bit. There's there's some there's a respect factor, and there's a way of doing it. You can do this kind of crap when you have Jameis Winston as your quarterback. You can call him out because it's obvious. And what has Jameis Winston ever done, right? Saying that he can't see the scoreboard. Yeah, exactly. That was Bruce Arians last year. Bruce Arians, yeah. So, but my point is, is that as a NFL coach, when you have a special player like this, and let's be honest, guys, statistically and wins and all that stuff, probably the number one quarterback of all time. You probably handle it a little more chill. Speaking of crapping on special players, uh, Odell Beckham is back in the news. And <laughs> um, it, it's it's not great, man. So Odell Beckham was asked earlier today about what he cares about. He said, quote, I care about one thing, and that is winning and producing. First of all, pretty sure that's two things. Odell has his mind again on the number two. Um, Mike Francesa, former New York radio personality, hearing that the Browns, quote, who are clueless, end quote, are looking to trade Odell Beckham. It's been a not-so-good, very bad few years for our boy Odell Beckham. You could say it's been really crappy. Which, by the way, really well done there. Really well done. Odell Beckham in his first game of the season had three catches for 22 yards on 10 targets. 10 targets. Do you know how hard it is to catch three of 10 targets for 22 yards? If a running back had 10 carries for 22 yards, we would say that was an abysmal day. Or we call him Saquon Barkley. One of the two. (laughs) 
number two again. Odell Beckham. Everything leads back to number two. Last weekend, three catches for 22 yards. I thought at one point in Odell Beckham's career, after his probably third season in the league, he was going to end up going down as one of the best receivers we had ever seen. And I didn't think it was a hot take. Like 1,300 yards each of his, the first three seasons in the league, 10-plus touchdowns each of his first three seasons. I thought it was crazy that the Giants traded him. Ever since that trade, it has looked like it was the best possible decision for the Giants. And I am a big fan of Odell, the player, but this guy just doesn't look like Odell, the player that I remember seeing whenever he was healthy. I don't know if it's the injuries. I don't know if it's his head. I don't know what it is with Odell, but it seems like every time he's on a team, he ends up being a malcontent. And that team wants everything that they can possibly wants to do everything they can possibly do to get him away from their team. It's crazy, man. He's one of the most talented receivers I've seen. And it's just not working for him again in Cleveland. No, I agree. And look at um, he's in a tough spot, too. Uh, yeah, he was targeted, what, 10 times, you said? Yeah. OK, but still, it's Cleveland and they looked absolutely awful as a team overall and obj as well did not look good you know what does the future hold for obj on the trade market to your point he's not really somebody you're coveting because of all the problems that he brings with it get for him right now i don't even know and he comes with a hefty contract so uh, the only fix for a guy like obj is to send him to a team that has an established offense already like i say this all the time but like new england patriots OBJ could could fit in there because he's got Cam or Baltimore or even Tampa Bay because of the way that Brady is, you know, a senior quarterback and all the titles and all that stuff. I wonder if San Francisco would look into it. They could use a receiver right now. Something. Jimmy G is not going to get it done there. I'm sorry. I've never had faith in that guy ever. I just think that uh, I worry more times every time there's a snap than the fact that I'm calm about it. You know what I mean? Speaking of the 49ers, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one. Bet it or forget it. The 49ers are going to miss the playoffs this year after making the Super Bowl a year ago. We'll give you that answer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one, Jamie. The 49ers will miss the playoffs after they made the Super Bowl a year ago. Bet it or forget it. Oh, wow. That's a tough one. I think I picked him to actually make the playoffs last week when we were talking. However, that was before the first game of the season to where I actually had picked the Cardinals to win that game. Um... That's a tough. It's tough over there. You know, you in that side, you've got you've got the Cardinals, you got the Seahawks, you got the Rams, you got the Buccaneers. You got a lot of good teams. Uh, you know what? I'm going to let's see. I'm going to say they don't make the playoffs. So you're forgetting it. I'm forgetting. You bet, it. You're betting it. You're you think they missed the playoffs? I mean, yeah, I'm betting it. Wow. Yeah, you're I, in. I I think looking at the teams that there's better teams. A lot te- a lot of teams that are better than them. How about you, Ferrari? I'm betting it too. Uh, we talked about yesterday. The NFC West is incredible. 
the 49ers might be the worst team in the NFC West. Well, technically <laughs> they are because the Carroll Cardinals just beat them. Yeah. And the Rams are a better team. And obviously the Seahawks are the better team. They're the only team that has a loss in that division. And then look at the NFC. Look at the rest of the NFC. You got Minnesota, New Orleans, Tampa to deal with, Dallas to deal with. They're going to be on the outside looking in. I don't even know if they're close to a wild card spot. So there's going to be some backlash to this take after the next few weeks because they're about to go on a little bit of a mini run here, boys. They've got the Jets, the Giants, the Eagles, the Dolphins over the next four weeks. That's very possibly four wins. Don't jump off of this bandwagon. They're going to miss the playoffs. I'm betting it here because after that, the schedule starts to get more difficult again. Rams, Patriots, Seahawks, Packers, Saints. That's a tough stretch right there. It's a gauntlet. So I think that they will miss the postseason, even though it is entirely possible that after losing in week one, they're about to go on a four and oh stretch here. Don't lose the faith, boys. We're going to stay steady on this here train. The 49ers will miss the playoffs after making the Super Bowl a year ago. Quick question. Kyle Shanahan, after he brought the Falcons to the Super Bowl, did they, am I correct in thinking they didn't make the playoffs the next year? Uh, he left after that one. Oh, okay, so right. he, he went to the 49ers. But the, okay. but yeah. I didn't know if that was right away. No, and I love Kyle Shanahan. I think he's a great coach. I don't love their quarterback. I, I'm with you. I think Jimmy G is a very mid-grade quarterback and I don't think you can win consistently if that guy is your quarterback in a division where I think Kyler Murray is special. Oh yeah. And I think Russell Wilson right now is the second best quarterback in the league. That's just going to be a really tough way to win. Better or forget it, the odds are officially out. First coach to be fired. Better or forget it, Jamie. Matt Patricia will be the first coach fired. He is currently second on these odds. He's plus 350, which means three and a half to one. Adam Gase is the favorite, the Jets head coach, at plus 325. (laughs) Better to forget it, Jamie. Matt Patricia is going to be the first coach fired after once again Uh, watching his team lose in just the worst possible fashion. Yeah, but he didn't cost him that win. Like that that drop pass at the end, like that's that's just a heartbreaker. I don't know if you blame the coach for that because Obviously, the play was called correctly. It was executed correctly, except for the catch wasn't made. Have you heard the audio from that? Uh, I'll play it again. It brings me to tears, actually. Stafford's got it. Three-man rush for Chicago. Stafford loads and throws. Hey, yes! Caught! No, oh! he dropped it on you. No! No! <laughs> DeAndre Swift dropped it. It was a touchdown in his hands. So based on that, like that's I do think Matt Patricia is, we'll say, in the hopper to be fired. I think that uh, Adam Gase is certainly in that category. My sleeper to be fired, possibly even first Eagles head coach. Whoa, Doug Peterson yeah. after winning a Super Bowl. I, yeah, but you know what? The last two seasons, last He's year. not even on the board. Last year wasn't great, and I just see that team. I don't know. Carson Wentz doesn't look great. I don't know if they're as prepared as they could be. Um, time will tell, but I just see that being a sneaky one where he could get the axe. I wonder if the Vikings head coach would get fired. Just got an extension this offseason. Mike Zimmer? Yeah. He's third. Plus 3,300, so 330 on the list. to 1. Hey, I, that'd be a good bet. I, I mean, take your chances. I watched that game on Sunday, and like, I think they could turn it around, but they didn't look great. I, I would bet it on Patricia, though. I really would. I mean, watching his play calling, 
when you had the ball and all you needed to do was just wear it down and run it, and he decided to throw it where Stafford threw the pick, I mean, what are you doing here, man? Like, he just he's a better defensive coordinator than he is a head coach. Detroit continues to have issues after a really solid draft and some really good young players. He still can't get it done. Yeah, he's going to be gone. Wait, where's the Broncos Patricia head stinks. coach oh, on this one? Because we haven't even gotten to that yet. Yeah, that's that brutal. guy, his, talk about his clock management. Fangio's right there with Zimmer at 33-1. to 1. What he did last night, does he think that you can take the two timeouts and, like, roll them over? This isn't your 401K. You don't roll it over to your <laughs> next employer. Is <laughs> that what you do? Next game, we get five in the first half. I thought that was a thing. He thinks he gets like free slushies after the game if he holds on to those two timeouts. Uh, what are you doing? I was told there'd be free points here. I don't understand how your gut feeling is to go against a guy who's potentially a Hall of Fame kicker. Like he's having a bad night, there is no doubt. But what's the only way for a guy that's had that kind of success to redeem himself? They pride themselves on big moments. By the way, bad job on both coaches in that spot. Playing for the field goal there when you have a kicker who's been struggling all night was awful by... Uh, I like it. By Vrabel, you I like, like it. Oh, stop. absolutely. No, I like it because that's how you keep your locker room. That's how you keep your team. Your coach goes, you know what? I don't care. I got confidence in my guys. That's how you keep your locker room. I don't know, man. I hated playing for the field goal there. I hated it. That being said, how'd it work out? It, it, it worked. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> he made the field goal. <laughs> the one that made the more atrocious decision 100% is Fangio. Oh, my. I mean, that guy. How does one of the players not just step up and go, hey, time out, ref, and then deal with be like, oh, I'd rather ask for forgiveness, you know? <laughs> I couldn't believe what we were watching in that moment. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Jamie. Mitchell Trubisky. By the way, I'm betting it. I think Matt Patricia is going to be the first coach fired. <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky will finish the year as the Bears starting quarterback. <laughs> bet it or forget it. Forget it. Forget it. I know he bounced back in, the, in week one one game here and he actually looked at some of his plays the fourth quarter was good it was actually pretty was impressive good. i was like oh, you know what but let's be honest guys it's short-lived like he could be back to the same old mitch that we know next week and then for five weeks straight tricky he could be back easily next game so yeah I, i'm forgetting that one easily i if if DeAndre Swift doesn't drop that obvious touchdown, are we even talking about Mitch Trubisky and the Bears well, as much? I think we are. I thought he had a good performance. I do. I, I think he had a good performance. But overall. you still. But they still overall. lost. Well, his what were his stats? They were pretty good. I saw them this morning. But yeah. Of course, I can't remember anything. The, the end results looks looked good. I still don't think I. I'm I'm betting it. He will not be the no. What was it? You're forgetting it. Yeah, forgetting <laughs> He's it. He's turning into me now. Yeah. Working with Trubisky. ribs too long. <laughs> this is Trubisky's stat line before that fourth quarter first touchdown pass that he threw. Jamie, thirteen for twenty-eight for hundred and fifty yards, zero touchdowns, and a fumble. He was averaging five and a half yards per attempt. But then how did he end? He ended very well. Twenty for thirty-six, two hundred and forty-two yards, three touchdowns, hundred and four rating. He ended the game very well. His fourth quarter was one for the ages. <laughs> he only got sacked once, too, and no interceptions. But they, that was, maybe it wasn't even Trubisky in there. They, they lose that game, though. People are still saying, well, Trubisky couldn't win the football game. That's a good point. And it would have been totally fair because <laughs> he was awful for three, like, 
for about 50 minutes of that game, he was just dreadful. And then he came alive in the final 10 minutes. That's Listen, at the end of the day, that's all that mattered. He won the football game for them. He was good when it mattered. But boy, oh boy, was he atrocious for the first 45 plus minutes of that game. All right. I got a good better to forget it. We'll squeeze it in quickly okay. here from the text line 6578061818. Better to forget it. If Patricia is the first coach to get fired, he becomes the Patriots defensive coordinator by the playoffs, especially since right now the Patriots don't even have one. So the little the the, the open <laughs> secret about Matt Patricia is that he's actually not a good defensive coordinator. Ooh. Um, when he was with Hot the take. Patriots, their defense was the worst that it has been under Bill Belichick. I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken, 2017, and their defense ranks 29th in the league in yards allowed per game that year. That was under Matt Patricia. I don't think Belichick was sad to see him go. I think Belichick was perfectly okay. No, I think he was okay. That's why he kept Patricia leaving. Kept what's his name, the offensive guy, McDaniel's. Yeah, he, that's why he fought so hard to keep him because Belichick, he can do the defense. He and can why take he loved that job. Flores so much. Brian yeah. Flores, the new Dolphins coach last year, Belichick loved him. He really enjoyed having him on his defensive staff. I'm not sure that same love was there for Matt Patricia. So you're going to forget it. I'm forgetting it very much. I'm forgetting it as well. I'll forget it. All right. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon. Kylie. I'm ready to see more of Alex Reyes in high leverage situations. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I would say the guy who I'm you know, interested in seeing more of is Alex Reyes. In spring training, he wasn't throwing 98, 99 miles an hour that we're seeing lately. I think you're seeing a guy whose mechanics are syncing up, who feels good whose stuff is absolutely electric. While I realize he's had some stumbles here and there, because of that stuff, and again, everything looking like it's coming together, I think they really need to find out what they have in him because he could be an absolutely crucial piece you know, going into the, the stretch drive, but also potentially the postseason. We can all agree Christian Yelich is struggling right now, right? Huh. We all watched the game last night. We can all agree on that, right? I think he's blindfolded in there. I think there. he would agree with that. Poor guy. Christian Yelich so far this year is batting 195. He's striking out 33% of the time. When I say that opponi- opposing hitters become Christian Yelich against Alex Reyes, typically you would be like, oh, God, that's a problem for the Cardinals. This year, that's exactly what's happened. Opposing hitters against Alex Reyes this season are batting 182 and they're striking out 32% of the time. Reyes has suddenly become a weapon. Yesterday, you saw multiple times where he's rearing up and he's getting it up to 100 miles per hour. Now, the command wasn't always there, and that's been yeah, some but of I the like issue. That, actually. But that keeps guys on their toes you in the batter's box. you see the movement on his changeup? I mean, that movement on the changeup was like pre-Tommy John all injuries punching walls Alex Reyes. Like, that was dangerous number one prospect Alex Reyes. But my point, too, is because he's just chucking it in there at blazing speed, 100 miles an hour, if this is a little off with his control... You're not as settled into that batter's box. There's no way you're settled in there just be like so comfortable. Especially if you're Matt Weeters with a 99 fastball at your freaking noggin. Uh, how many times were you guys Good worried that something was going to happen with Weeters in the back there? I'm glad he ducked on that one. I think from now on, it's got to be Yachty or Molina yeah. catcher if, if if Reyes is coming into the game. If it's Reyes or Carlos, Yachty has to be the yeah, catcher. But you'd have to think that Weeters probably sees more pitches from Reyes than anybody. 
In the bullpen, when they do the bullpen sessions, when yeah. they do like side sessions. Yeah, but I don't know if you're getting the actual Alex Reyes there as you would be in games with those loose balls and kind of slipping out of uh, the hands. Remember when I said very early in the season how KK makes me nervous? Let's see if this works here again. Weeders makes me nervous whenever he catches Alex Reyes. <laughs> right. He's about to go on a Millsy run. <laughs> so Reyes' fastball, I looked this up earlier today. It's averaging 98.4 miles per hour this month. Now, here's why that's notable. It's it is bad. the highest average velocity for his four-seam fastball in any month since he entered the majors and they started recording how fast his fastball was being thrown. He is back to being Alex Reyes again, the guy that was the top prospect in all of baseball, the guy that we were all so unbelievably excited to watch he's that guy again and I don't know what his future holds here in St. Louis I don't know if he's a future closer or if he's a starter that they could try out there I don't know but I do know this with Gallegos on the injured list right now and with them looking for answers at the back end of the bullpen I don't think there's a better answer right now than Alex Reyes I think he's the guy that I would turn to especially after what we just saw yesterday with Ryan Helsley blowing up in the, in the back end of the bullpen say, as well you mean what we just saw Tyler Webb picking up the save yeah he, well yeah I'll, yeah I'll stick to Reyes so that made let's me nervous get back too. on Helsley I I think I texted you guys last week saying, you know, because BK talks about how KK makes him nervous. I'm like, Helsley makes me nervous. Yeah. I, I, he gets in there and I, to me, like Forrest Gump said, it's like a box of chocolates, right? You never know what you're going to get with Helsley in there. And that's the way I feel. And I, when I'm watching Reyes, and to your point, BK, this guy's absolutely your closer. I don't see him as a starter at all. I don't think that that's. The way he pitches, I don't think that's sustainable for starters' innings to munch up four, five, six innings, whatever it may be. But I do think for an inning or two innings, this guy's a monster. And I don't know much about him pre-Tommy John or pre-Punch in the Wall. I know He looks like what you saw last night. That was Alex Reyes pre-Tommy John. He looks comfortable on the mound. Like he looks like he's like he's like bring it. And even when he has a pitch that gets a little squirrely on him, I don't feel like he looks like he's rattled. He's almost like, ah, I know why that one got away from me. I'm going to reel it in. I know how to correct that now. I think this season he should be the closer. I'd be curious next season if this guy could be in a rotation for you. If he problem can stay is, where's healthy. The, where's the spot for him? Well, that's the that's a good thing to have. That's a good problem to have. It you think makes, the way he pitches is sustainable as a starter? I think if he can stay healthy, it is. Ooh. I think there can be. I think there needs to be some I'm work. I'm not Command and it, control. But, but I, I mean... He could be a closer this season. He's your best option for closer until Gallegos comes back. There's nobody else. It's Miller, Helsley, or Reyes. Like, that's it for you. But next season, I mean, look, we talk about if Carlos can be in the rotation. If we're going to put Carlos into the competition for one of those rotation spots, which right now, as BK mentioned, there's not really a lot of them. But I'd put Reyes in that competition, and that creates a hell of a lot of competition, or it creates a hell of a lot of opportunities for you to make some deals in the offseason to bring in some offense because you have these weapons. I think we're looking at two years away from Reyes being in the rotation conversation because next year— How old is he now? He, what, 26? 26? Okay. Something like that. I mean, he's still a he's young guy. Than I thought, though. Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. he was he's, like 24. He's been injured pretty much his entire major league huh. career. All right. So I think next year you've got four that are just absolutely certain that are going to be in your rotation. That's Flaherty, Hudson, Wayno, and KK. I think those guys are almost guaranteed to be in there. And then when Michaelis gets back, I think he's almost guaranteed to be in there as well. So if he is back for the start of the season, that's your five. 
But two years from now, you might be talking about Wayno moving on and him not being a part of that rotation at that point. So then maybe whether it be Gomber or Reyes or Martinez, whoever that guy is that you want there, maybe then they get into that mix. But I think next year your rotation is basically set. But for the right now, I'm with you guys. I think Alex Reyes is your closer right now. And then you you kind of you backtrack things from there. I think Reyes is the guy that, you know, seventh inning and in doubleheaders or ninth inning in a typical game. You're going to him in the big spot. And then from there, you try to backlog it and see who you trust the most. And right now, they don't have a whole lot of options. When you get to normal, when you don't have all of these damn doubleheaders and you can actually just play a series. I think Ponce is a weapon for you late in innings. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. I think Ponce is a Gantt for you. But here's here's the thing with Ponce that, quite honestly, I, I'm looking at him going, this guy's doing better than I thought he would do as a starter. I, I, I'm surprised pleasantly with it. So that gives the Cardinals options even more so yep. on the starter side, right? Like, where does Ponce fit in when everybody's healthy? He probably doesn't fit in. Where does Martinez fit in? Probably doesn't, but uh, to me, Martinez... Talking about in the rotation? In the rotation, yeah. yeah. Like legitimately 10 back. guys next season that could be in a rotation. So therefore, back to our <laughs> earlier conversation, which you can catch if you download the uh, podcast on 101 ESPN, we talked about how acquiring an outfielder or another player would probably come via trade. Well, now you've got some trade guys out there. You've got some Martinez. You've got a Ponce de Leon. It, it's if you choose to do that. I mean, honestly, think about that, though. You just mentioned what the rotation would look like next year with Michael is back. Your secondary rotation, like you can have a secondary one through five of a Reyes, a Martinez, a Ponce de Leon, an Austin Gomber. I mean, you can legitimately have another five rotation pitchers, which sets you up for a lot of opportunities in the offseason to look at what you truly have. I mean, look, you want internal competition, and if you have a normal minor league next year an Alex Reyes can be in a rotation next year and try and get those reps or you put him in a bullpen but regardless you have 10 guys that can start games for you which is the best case scenario that any team could ever want I mean they have almost 15 like it's it's crazy what we're looking at with them I mean you, we just talked about the top five right Flaherty Hudson Wayno, KK Michaelis next year the next one Gomber Martinez Reyes Ponce Oviedo mm-hmm. and then you've also got Woodford and Liberator and Thompson like you have legitimately yeah. 13 guys Brad? that next Nope, different one. Okay, uh, yeah, this Brad. this one goes by the name Zach. I was like, go ahead, BT, and, get, and, uh, get your game on. Very very different, but <laughs> the, the the point remains. Mm-hmm. This is, we we talked about this yesterday with um, Saxy, and it's true. They're gonna have to deal from this depth. You have to because you have so much quality depth right now, and it's nice to have. It's nice to just say I want all of these toys to be able to play with, but maybe you need a you need to eat lunch at some point. So you trade one of those toys to your buddy for a PB and J sandwich, right? You're starving right now. You're get more than that for that. Yeah, toy. I was gonna say PB and J. That's like. Come on. Something I had to come maybe up with a, a metaphor wet. on the fly. I can, I can flip carrots for maybe PB and J if I wanted juice. to. Throw in a juicy juice. Get we got a deal. Fruit by the foot, maybe, or something like that. <laughs> Take two. You're foot. at the lunch table whenever you're in grade school, and you got the Snickers. Your buddy's got the Twix. You want the Twix. You trade. You make the trade, and you feel good about it, right? You're trading the Snickers for the Twix? I was not Twix? trading the Snickers for a Twix. Last though. week, he was all yeah. over the Snickers. Why would you trade Snickers if and that was Bob's your pick? Bob's your uncle. You need to trade a pitcher for a hitter. That's what the Cardinals need to do. You need to get better at making these deals. Who brought Bob into the negotiation? Junk Drawer is next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Time to go into the junk. 
Young Jamar with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Can I start things off with a take that I never in a million years would have thought that we would be actually listening to a week into the NFL season? Well, yes, please do. So we already heard Ryan Clark, former NFL safety, now ESPN NFL commentator, say it's not the Tom Brady of old. We're watching an old Tom Brady. It's not very nice. Dan Orlovsky, a former NFL quarterback, now turned ESPN commentator himself, said after week one, he is one week away from saying Gardner Minshew is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Let's take a listen. Greeny, I'm a week away, one week away from saying Gardner Minshew is a better player than Baker Mayfield. It has to get fixed. One week? You just said you weren't going to overreact. I said I'm a week. They got Don't a week. say he's overrated. We'll overreact in a week. Is that really an overreaction? I don't know. I don't know what to think anymore, man. I don't even find that surprising. I think that's a true statement. Is Baker bad? Like, is Baker a bad NFL quarterback? Did you see? Are we already there? Did you see that fumble and then him just run backwards for 20 yards on fourth and four? But what's puzzling to me about Baker Mayfield is had he started off like this, like last year and then so far this year, you'd be like, okay, it's Mark Sanchez all over again, Other than the butt fumble. But we saw his rookie season. We saw his rookie season. What's the difference between the two, though? Is it a coaching change? Is Hugh Jackson good? I don't know. (laughs) Did you see that play call on fourth and whatever in their own zone and fake punt it? Come on. I'm just, I, I am uh, puzzled as well with Baker Mayfield, but I certainly at this point, I'm only watching the Browns play because I'm waiting for the next train wreck. <laughs> That's basically what I'm doing is waiting for the fumble, the interception, the bad play, the pass to nobody, the handoff to the guy who isn't there. Like, that's the only reason I'm watching. Guys, Baker's a butt fumble away from being Mark Sanchez. I mean, he has more commercials than he does victories in the NFL. Yeah, maybe sure. that's why he's not doing so well. Is that he's take, focused take some on commercials and, away. Yeah, although right now that might be his only source of income. <laughs> his other one might go away really quickly. Should. So, Okay, so you guys have been hard on my guy, Tom Brady, okay? Everybody we talking to hard, oh, it's not the same old Tom Brady. It's just old Tom Brady. Okay, fine. Well, I came across something that might solve all of Brady's problems, okay? He was on a podcast uh, not too long ago, Dax Shepard, the comedian. You guys know of Dax Shepard? He has a, a podcast called Armchair Expert, and he had Tom Brady on there, and Tom Brady talked about how there's no pregame sex at home with him and Giselle, which, by the way, talk about the willpower there, right? Like, come on. Not many guys can be oh, that. It's early. You not know, many guys can be noon like. kickoffs. Yeah. No, nah, not today, Giselle. I'm worried about the game. You never remember what Mick said in Rocky, you know? Yeah, I didn't weak knees. Yeah. You're right. I get it. Let's stay away from it. But so, anyways, since they've been in Tampa Bay, the quarterback said, uh, I wouldn't be in my pregame warm up to have relations with Giselle on game day. And she understands that and takes care of the kids and yada, yada, yada. So here I am, guys. I'm thinking that it's time to call one in from the bullpen. Giselle, don't take no for an answer. No, that's the problem, huh? No does not mean no. She's got to take one for the team. We need Tom back here. He said he wanted to go down to Tampa for more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that spending the afternoon with Giselle. That sounds like fun. I wonder, I wonder if it's, you know, he's playing more early afternoon games down there in Who Tampa. Who cares if he's playing at 7 a.m.? I'll tell you what, I'll risk it. <laughs> You'll risk your life for that, huh? 
I'm they, dying on that. Figure hill. it out, Giselle. They are at home this week. They're in Tampa. Last week on the road in New Orleans. Maybe that had a little something to do with it in week one. He's back home. Yeah, it's, probably a little more difficult. So maybe being at home, and we all know he's staying at the Jeter complex out there in Tampa Bay. Yep. yep. Maybe in in the in the East Wing, they can find a little barricaded room <laughs> where they just make it happen at like Security seven a.m. before he leaves to go to the stadium. I tell, I've already sent Giselle a message. I think she blocked me, but anyways, I sent her I a went message. I two for that message. I sent her two from another burner account. She has no idea. Anyway, hey, Giselle, this is Jamie Rivers. Will you please have <laughs> sex with Tom Brady? Will you please, please get that man going? So, final thing that I wanted to throw into the junk drawer today. Do you guys remember when you were so excited about this Mike Tyson versus? Versus Roy Jones Jr. fight. What do you mean? So or were so excited? I am still excited. I am excited. Well, you're more excited than Roy Jones Jr. appears to be. <laughs> Frankly, no so. kidding. I <laughs> would. If I'm Roy, I'm not showing any enthusiasm. So Roy Jones Jr. said the other day, "quote He's still Mike Tyson. He's still one of the strongest, most explosive people who ever touched a boxing ring." He continued, "If anything, I made a mistake going into this with him. He's the bigger guy. He's the explosive guy. He's gonna have all of the first round fireworks, not me." Okay, then why am I paying for this fight, Mr. Roy Jones Jr.? <laughs> he's listen. Here's what's happened here, okay, guys. Roy Jones Jr. has had a very sobering moment that this thing is inching closer and closer to happening, and now he's not thinking about that little payday that's coming with it. He's thinking about maybe his head being knocked off his shoulders. Mike Tyson, I believe, owns the most first-round knockouts of any heavyweight boxer ever in the history of boxing that we can remember Mm -hmm. anyways. So he's 54 now. Jones is 51. We've seen Mike Tyson footage. He still looks like he could knock a bear out at this point. I'd be worried. Is the Mike Tyson footage? He still looks like he could knock a bear out at this point. I'd be worried. Is the is the paycheck worth the punishment at this point? I would do it because it is worth you would? it. hundred percent. Yeah, I don't care. Put me in a hospital. If Ferrario. I'm Roy, no. If I'm Roy Jones Jr., I'm Ferrario's not going to do it. But if Ferrario's Roy Jones Jr., hell yeah, I'm doing All it. The more reason is Ferrario to do it. Think well, about yeah. your life change. Let's at that be point. honest. Yeah, think about how you're spending the rest of your life drinking yeah, out of a. I straw. don't care if I, I slobber every time I talk. Yeah. I'm going for it. Let's be honest here. I, uh, Ferrario himself would probably take that deal because yeah. I'll figure out the drooling and the and the face numbness at some point. But all of that money, we're good. I died on a gurney in Croatia. You don't yeah. think I'm going to get knocked out by Mike Tyson? Yeah, I'll good. take that deal any day of the Plus, week. it's like the hangover. You can tell people you took a punch from Mike Tyson. <laughs> I died on a gurney in Croatia. <laughs> I'd take the payday to get beat up by Tyson. I would, day. too. I feel like this is a... This is a kid's thing, isn't it? <laughs> Jamie's had the kids. You're getting ready to have a child. That's exactly what it is. I'm, I'm surprised just, you don't. You're at a wedding thing. I was about to say, I'm just staring into the abyss with the wedding in the house. That's only the very beginning of all of this. Wait till oh, yeah. you pay for it, then See, you'll take that fight. Getting knocked out by Tyson doesn't sound too bad now. It's true. We are... We are Quickly approaching the end of our list of the big things that we've got to make sure that we are able to uh, schedule, by the way. We've got the videographer. We've got the venue. We've got the photographer. We've got the ceremony place. What you call it? You called it a, I a thought photographer? you said a photographer. A photographer. Is that mean it's a fake? It's a photographer. Oh, my God. Major League Baseball just announced their playoff plans. We'll tell you what they are and how they might actually be advantageous for the Cardinals. That's all coming up on 101 ESPN. Is it a Kodak camera? We're
back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Major League Baseball has uh, announced its bait. Major League Baseball has announced its playoff plans today. Take two. Hang on. Hang on. We got it for sure. Welcome back in. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Breaking news. Major League Baseball has announced its postseason plans. And guys, I think this could help the Cardinals. You do? Ready for it? Let's hear it. Zero days off. No days off. They're going with the Bill Belichick plan for the postseason. <laughs> there will be a game for all of the National League wildcard series on Wednesday, September 30th. There will be another game on Thursday, October 1st, and then they will follow that up with game three, if necessary, on Friday, October 2nd. There's going to be no days off for wow. these this first round, this three-game series, and that will continue, from my understanding, in the National League Division Series as well. The World Series uh, will have traditional off days between game two and three, and then again in five and six. So it looks like this is also going to be the case in the NLCS. You're going to have some massive pitching decisions in these series. Typically... You can use the hell out of your bullpen arms. You can pitch them one day, they get an off day, you go back to them. In this postseason, the way that things are going to be set up, it's going to be like what we saw from the Cardinals in the regular season where you pitch one day and you're like, I don't know who's available (laughs) the following day. The Cardinals, because they have so many pitchers and so many guys that you really like coming out of the bullpen, they actually, if they make it, and we all think that they will, I think in this room, if they make it to the postseason, their pitching is set up to win with this kind of a schedule, Jamie, and it's going to be unlike anything we've seen in the postseason in quite some time. Yeah, it's uh, look, I understand why they're doing it. They want to be able to get to the finish line on this season, much like the NHL in their bubble right now. They're planning on not having a big break between series and just let's get after it. Let's get this over so that we can put some closure to the season. Major League Baseball doing the same thing. Here's where I go with it is, yes, I agree 100% with you that this plays to the Cardinals' advantage when it comes to the pitching side. We saw this last year's own playoffs. The Cardinals, the pitching and the defense wasn't the issue. If you can't score any runs, it's hard to win games. I don't care how many pitchers you have, how many aces in the hole you have. If you can't put a run on the board to beat the opposition, you're still ending up in the same place. And right now... As great as the pitching is, 14, 15 deep, I mean, eight starters that we can name. All these things that are fantastic. Not one of those guys can touch seats by swinging a bat. So until the Cardinals can figure out their offense, I'm still worried. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but that's the way I feel. You know, if you look at the doubleheaders that they've played this month and you're basically playing without any days off and look at the way that the offense has kind of trended. You know, you started off the month with the Cubs and you scored nine runs in those two games. And then against Minnesota, you scored nine runs. But then Detroit, you score 15. It's gone back and forth. But you look at most recently where it was Cincinnati. It was the doubleheader against Detroit. Cincinnati, 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 doubleheader against Milwaukee. I mean, you've had two games where you've scored more than five runs. That is the problem. The offense is going to be what really challenges this team in the postseason. The problem is going to be also if you have this year what happened last year against Atlanta, where your offense just goes off for a series, but then it comes back to reality. Cools off. That's what scares me because the pitching we know is going to help this team. And no days off presents a challenge, but I think the Blue or the Blues, the Cardinals have the opportunity to mix and match guys to where with the days off, they can rest. Other teams don't have that. Like the Cubs, they don't have that luxury. They don't have 
18 different guys that can come out in games back-to-back. Cardinals do, but the Cubs have the offense that can win those mishaps, and I don't know if the Cardinals do. I don't know if they do either, but this is going to be something where it it remains to be seen if you can win games 3-2 to two in this style of a postseason. We, we haven't seen this before. This is new. This is entirely different than the playoffs that we are used to. That being said, the Cardinals are going to be able to pitch the way that you've been used to in the postseason. What I mean by that is we we have become accustomed to the playoffs being a reliever-driven postseason, right? Like the Royals won the won the World Series in part because of what they had in their bullpen, and we've seen a lot of other teams follow that model in the year since, last year being the one kind of reverting back to what used to be the norm with the starters really being the prominent theme. But the Cardinals, I just wrote this down. If you look at, in particular, the first wild card series, that three-game series, we talked earlier today, and we think they would go with Flaherty, Wayno, and KK in some order as their starters in those three games. As long relievers, you've got Gant and Carlos as potential options, and if break glass in case of emergency, you could go with Hudson in that spot as well. And then in a high-leverage spot, you've got Cabrera, Gomber, Reyes, and hopefully at that point you've got Gallegos back. I mean, that's a lot of options to be Ponce able to throw too. in a three-game series. Ponce as well as a potential option. So I guess and Oviedo as well should be back. So I guess my head goes into it, and I got to ask, what other team is lined up like that, pitching-wise? I don't think there is one. Okay, so There's maybe not. the Dodgers, but that, that'd okay, probably so, be okay, it. Okay, so that's problematic, though. Yeah. Okay, because where, where I was headed there for a second was that – if some of these teams have to go deep into their rotation in a series because they don't have those days off or that day off and you get to go back to your ace again for the second time in a series. and I mean, you guys know where I'm headed with this, right? Mm-hmm. If you only throw your ace once in the series, that could play to the Cardinals' advantage, even though their offense is to be desired. If you get a lesser pitcher, maybe that helps your offense. I'll tell you what, the Padres are an intriguing one who might have that luxury. They don't have guys that stand out like what the Nationals had last year of aces or go-to guys in the bullpen, but they got a lot of young arms who just aren't on people's radar right now who are pitching. Who's the uh, the, the the starter for them who's pitching like a, a Cy Young candidate? starts with a D. Dillamette, I think, something like that. I mean, sure. he, he, why not? He's a Cy Young pitcher, but San Diego is a team that could be a little threatening in terms of the, the, the depth of their pitching and bullpen. So if you look at the reliever ERAs right now, the Dodgers are the best in the National League so far this season with a 2.77 ERA coming out of their bullpen. I mean, the Dodgers, it doesn't matter what number you look at right now. They're just really good across the board. They're That's going to be, be a problem. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a monster. So they're, they're going to be the toughest team can. to beat in this postseason. And then the Braves are second with a 3-4 ERA from their bullpen relievers so far this year. Cardinals are third with a 4-1. And the Cardinals, whenever you look at the guys that you trust in a play, off series instead of looking at just the overall number because they've had seemingly 150 different guys come out at any given time because of all of the things that they had to deal with with the double headers. It's it, they, their bullpen is among the best in baseball so far this season with the guys that you really do trust. So I do think this could be an advantage for them, and I'll be interested to see how it plays into some of those other teams that we look at as contenders. But if you have to start getting into the depth of both their rotation and their bullpen as we get further and further along, that could be a real problem for some of these teams. They don't want to get to the belly of that bullpen. They don't want to have to bridge the gap between the fourth and the seventh inning with with relievers that they don't trust. 
The Cardinals don't have that issue. They've got guys like we just mentioned that if your starter only gives you four for whatever reason, if KK gives you four really strong innings and you want to get that bridge to the back end of your pen, you can do that with Carlos or Gant or any of these other 12 guys that we've mentioned as long relievers. So I I think they're really well suited for what this postseason is going to be this year. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, let's play a game of defend your overreaction. There's been plenty of overreactions to the first weekend of the NFL season. We'll defend some of ours coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So we've said for weeks that unpopular opinions is just basically BK does a segment. That's <laughs> BK's really no takes. difference. Very true. We can sell it, though. It's just ribs so and BK. We're going to play a game called Defend Your Overreaction. And basically, Whoa. I've got a few overreactions that I've seen across the internet. Coming off of week one of the NFL season. Okay. I'm going to throw these out there. And if you believe them, you can defend it. If you guys don't believe them, I'm going to give you the right of first refusal. Neither of you believes these overreactions. I will take on the responsibility of defending them, whether I agree with it or not. Okay. Because I'm Stephen ABK over here, and I'm ready to defend whatever is necessary. (laughs) Oh, my God. Start with this one. Baker Mayfield is not the franchise quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Are either of you willing to defend that take that we have seen after the first week of the NFL season? Yeah, I'll defend it. He's not the worst quarterback in Browns history. No, he's not the franchise quarterback for the Cleveland Browns moving forward. That's in franchise history. It's like a a half touchdown, Rivs. Is not the Cleveland Browns. Two and a half touchdowns. Yeah, okay, well, I will agree with that. He is not the Browns franchise quarterback. This guy is going to be a bust. Already? Yeah. Look at the way he's handling games. Like he's had one, one little patch of success, which came off of a year where he got their first win in two seasons, right? Like, how hard is that to go up from there? And now I think since that point, he's just been trending downward, and now it's almost at a downward plateau where it's not necessarily getting worse, but it's not getting any better. So here's my question to you as you're defending this just trash take. Tom Brady, you're not willing to say this about. You're not willing to say Tom Brady is done after his first week where he really struggled against the Saints. Okay, just think about what you just asked. Time out. Let I'm me finish here. Text line six, five, Let me finish here. He just compared B- B- uh, Baker to Tom Brady. Brady. What they and did he's in week one. it now. What they did in week one, I will absolutely say was similar. Okay, but I'm not taking just ba- week one. Nine. I understand you have week one for Baker Mayfield, but I'm looking at last year too. I am too. Oh my. Tom God. Brady How down the street. Patriots win last year. A lot. And exactly. They had Bill Belichick as their head coach. Oh, yeah, because he Meanwhile, throws a lot of touchdowns. Freddie Kitchens was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Different situations. Who? Baker Mayfield was bad last year. I'm not defending that. Tom Brady was not very good down the stretch of last season. And then it continued into week one of this year. I'm not ready to completely disown Baker Mayfield based on what he did in one week. Just the same way as I'm not willing to do that with Tom Brady. If you had a million dollars and you had to bet it on one of those quarterbacks right now to say that they'll pull out of this hole. You, which quarterback would you take? You can't bet half. You, you absolutely act like you have to bet a million dollars that either Baker Mayfield will have a better season at the end of all this or Tom Brady will. Yeah, Where are would, you putting your money? I would bet on Tom Brady. Thank you. Defend Next your segment, overreaction please. to week number one. <laughs> the New York Jets I think will you finish. just lost that. 
<laughs> the New York Jets will finish with the worst record in the NFL. They will fire Adam Gase and they will move on from Sam Darnold as their franchise quarterback. Do either of you believe that after week one of the NFL season? Wow, there's a lot of different things to unpack in that one statement mm-hmm. because I don't think they'll finish with the worst record in the NFL. I do think they'll fire Adam Gase and I do think they'll move on from Sam Darnold. See, I think they'll have the worst record. I think they'll fire Adam Gase, but I don't think they're going to move on from Sam Darnold. <laughs> There's a lot of twists. Yeah, and yeah you just you gave three scenarios. Like, you should have had three separate ones. Yeah. And I agree with Ferrario, actually. Dang I think so. that's the most of likely thing about yeah. the Brady loss. I don't want here's, that. here's the tough part, though. I don't know. If you end up if the Jets have the number one overall pick, how do you not take Trevor Lawrence? How do you get that pick? Look at what you've seen from Sam Darnold in, in his first couple of years as God, a starter. It's a no-brainer. And say to yourself, yeah, we're going to stick with this over taking the no-doubt franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. If they don't great get hair, the number too. one overall pick. Great hair. Great hair. If they don't get the number one overall pick, if they finish like third in the draft, okay, I think you stick with Sam well, Darnold. You still trade point. up, though, at that point. Or you could trade yeah. it away. But okay. if you get the number one pick, I think this ends up happening. I think they have. I think they will fire Adam Gase. I think that's a near certainty. Yeah, that's going to happen. And I think if they get the number one overall pick, they will move on from Sam Darnold because that will have suggested that he was bad again this year, and he hasn't shown us a whole lot of reasons to believe so far in his season. At least with Baker, we have his rookie year. We don't even have that with Sam Darnold. The Jets' best player was on the Seahawks roster for Week One. Man, so I think that's more GM than it is head coach, right? That had to be a tough way to watch that because Jamal Adams, the new safety for the Seahawks, that they, they the just, best player, other than Wilson, amazing for the Seahawks. He was everywhere. I mean, this this guy was a monster. Mm-hmm. He, he looked like a seat. It made so much sense that he was on the Seahawks. Yeah, he, he looked he, like Earl Thomas, minus ooh. the sleeping in bed with your brother minus and the, two uh, women. Alleged. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> Defend your overreaction. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Phillip Rivers all have nothing left to give to their teams this season. Well, I can't defend that. You just watch Brees and Brady. Have a pretty good game. Brees, Phillip I Rivers. thought, was fine. Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers, is, uh, he just needs to go home to his 13 kids. He's probably tired. Maybe yeah, that's why be. Brady doesn't have yeah, a pregame ritual with Giselle. He looks at Philip yeah. Rivers going, eh. I, don't, I don't want this. I don't want this. You guys thought Drew Brees looked good? I thought he looked fine. How many touchdowns did he throw? Uh, two. I'll take the two. I thought he looked fine. I didn't listen. It wasn't a knock your socks off, Drew Brees, by any means, but he didn't lose the game for them. No, for sure. 18 for 30, which is not a typical Drew Brees game. 160 yards. I'm going to be paying close attention to what we see from Drew Brees over the next couple of weeks. They've got the Raiders this week on the road in Vegas where they're opening up that new stadium. Packers the following week and then at the Lions. I, I think of the three quarterbacks here, the guys that I'm most worried about in order would be Rivers, number one. He, he just looked bad. You've got a good offensive line, and you still didn't look good. And you were like a guy it. who wished he retired. And he did it against the Jags. Come on, guys. Gardner Minshew. Minshew was better than Rivers. Minshew it wasn't close. It was not close. So Rivers would be the one that I'm the most concerned about right now. And then Drew Brees would actually be two on this one. I know they won the game, but Brady would be the one that I'm the least concerned about of these three on, on this list. The other reason for Brees, it sounds like Michael Thomas has a serious ankle injury. 
injury. Yeah. He's got a high ankle sprain. And, Jamie, you being a former athlete, you know more about this than I do, but those things can linger for a while. Depending on your position, and obviously his position's one where there's going to be a lot of stress on that ankle, that could be that could be a nightmare for both the player and the franchise for this entire season. It's something that Patrick Mahomes dealt with last year. Uh, he, he sprained it in week one, just like what we saw from uh, Michael Thomas. Patrick Mahomes a warrior. <laughs> no, 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 it's not He's even that. A warrior. It, it was part of why he struggled so much. Bec- and he doesn't play a, a position like receiver where you're planting and you've, you've got to make sure that you have those quick movements. I don't know that Michael Thomas is going to be the guy that we saw a year ago because of that ankle sprain. And Patrick Mahomes, when he sprained his knee, was still dealing with that. It was still lingering. And that was like two months later because he kept re-injuring it in games. You wonder if one has something to do with the other sometimes just because you compensate in different ways. So it's going to be a tough one. It's not an, an ankle. High ankle is not an injury you want. I'm a little worried about Drew Brees. Not terrified yet. I still think the Saints are going to be good. I said that earlier, but I'm a little bit worried about Drew Brees. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Ricky Horton's going to join us coming up next. What does he think about what he has seen from Alex Reyes of Layton? Man, I want him to put in perspective just how unbelievable this run has been for KK. We'll talk about it all with Ricky Horton when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Ricky Horton, the Cardinals broadcaster. You can follow him on Twitter at RickyH49. Rick, we always appreciate the time, my friend. Earlier today, we passed along the info from Major League Baseball that they have announced what the schedule is going to be like for the wild card round. They're going back to back to back Wednesday, the 30th, October 1st on Thursday, and then Friday, October 2nd as well. I'm curious from your perspective and looking at this through the Cardinals lens, do you think what they've gone through this year with so many games consecutively, could that actually end up being an advantage for them as we go into this strange postseason where they're basically going to have no days off all the, the entire time? Yeah, I think it's definitely possible that it's going to be an advantage for the Cardinals. Look, they, they've gone through all kinds of adversity, and really everybody has in baseball. It's not just the Cardinals. The Cardinals have had a little more than their share, but uh, the fact that they've had to get six or seven guys ready to actually start games is, uh, I think, part of the advantage of playing games back-to-back. And, and I, I think baseball has to do that. I mean, obviously they want to get the playoffs in and done, and uh, you don't want them to linger. And so uh, I think that's part of the reason they're doing it. Ricky, we had a little talk earlier today on the show about the first series and that the rotation and the guys have the top guys who've looked so good. And we talked about who would be the first three guys that you'd start. And, and quite honestly, right now, there's legitimately four that I think are fantastic. Mm-hmm. That being KK, mm-hmm. Wayno, Flaherty, and Dakota Hudson. Uh, in the first three games, who would be your three guys that you would pick to lead the charge? You know, it's interesting. You know, I take Daniel Ponce de Leon from yesterday, but the question is, can you count on that? And I mean, he was unbelievable yesterday. He had, he had swing and miss stuff and kind of had that kind of that extra little oomph to his fastball. But I, I think, you know, clearly, you know, Jack Flaherty's your guy, and uh, it's hard not to have Wainwright in that. It's also hard not to have uh, KK in it. I think, I think KK has been as solid as anybody. I think his health, of course, is a question that we're all kind of. Well, kind of thinking about with with uh, with some trepidation because you know he went through a pretty serious kidney situation and, and there he is pitching. I mean, lights out. But of course, uh, he's got Dakota Hudson too, who's uh, proven that he can uh, 
win big games. So I, I do think you have four. Uh, and who knows, by the time you get there, you've got guys like Ponce and Gomber and, and others and Reyes and Cabrera that could be uh, several innings in, in, out of the bullpen. So I think you've got some weapons. Uh, the key is to get through the stretch you're in right now because a lot can change in the next, in the next week or so. We're talking with Ricky Horton here on 101 ESPN. Ricky, I mean, that's the pitching side of things, and we all know the Cardinals are as good as it gets on that side. Unfortunately, they also have to hit. And yesterday we saw some of the struggles that this team has had, especially with runners in scoring position. What needs to change? You're, You're around this team all the time. You've watched them as much as anybody. What needs to change for this offense to be able to not be great? We don't need them to be an unbelievable offense, but just to get to respect where you you feel pretty confident they're going to get to three or four runs every night. Well, you know, it's it's it was, so I'd say Matt Carpenter's the, the way I would start answering the question by saying, what did Matt Carpenter do differently this week than he did the week before? Well, it's about timing for him. And he was so far off two weeks ago, you know, he was an out, I mean, frankly. And he would say that. I mean, I'm not saying anything Matt wouldn't agree with, but boy, his timing has changed and he seems like a threat again. So that's the point is you got to work on your timing and get to the point where you're, you're a threat and that by being a threat, that means you're not going to strike out with a guy on third base in less than two outs. You're going to put the ball in play. You're going to, you're going to be selective. You know, I see the I see Cardinals at the Cardinal hitters at times taking strikes that they should be hitting and swinging at pitches they shouldn't be hitting. Now you don't have to be a genius to see that. But I think you know that has to do with pitch selection. Tom Hurley, the, the our new Cardinal Hall of Famer, used to say. Uh, a pitcher's going to give you a pitch to hit every at-bat. you got to be ready for it. you got to hit it. Might be the first pitch you see, might be the third. And I think that's kind of the approach I would go with. And, and you know, they need to be aggressive on a pitch that's in the area there. Uh, they can do something with it. Ricky, the Cardinals have been able at times to get guys on the bases. But the one concern, especially from some of the outfielders when they come up to bat, is leaving runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. how do you go about fixing that? Is it an approach at the plate? Is it overall team strategy? I mean, it just seems to me like if they could cash in just a couple more guys, some of these close games become victories. Yeah, and that running hitters, anyone runners in scoring position, guys, it really is kind of a contagious thing too. I mean, there's there's you know a lot that goes on between the years, whether you're talking about hockey or baseball or whatever sport you're talking about. A lot goes on between the years, and I think at some point when when you go up there and you're defensive and thinking, oh no, I can't strike out. It's very different than saying I'm going to get a pitch, I'm going to drive it. Paul DeYoung would be an example of somebody right now that is very confident at the plate, so is Goldie, and you expect them to have a good at-bat with runners in scoring position. Well, we need six guys like that and eight guys like that and, and several at the bottom of the order. You know, the Cardinals had a game where they had five home runs uh, during the homestand. They had another game where they had four. Well, you know, we need to spread those out a little bit and maybe get two every night, and I'd be happy with that because with the pitching as good as it is, you can find six runs, you're going to win. Uh, and so I, I don't think it's that – you know, obviously, it's not that they're not trying, and and I don't even think that the approach is necessarily bad. I just think they just need to get a feel for it, which means timing and, of course, the confidence uh, and expectation that you're going to get the job done. Ricky, if you could put together your ideal outfield for the Cardinals right now, who would be your three outfielders today? Um, I would say Stan Musial, Lou Brock, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'm with you, Ricky. <laughs> Are you going with that? Yeah, I'll take that one. Out. Kurt Flood, Terry Moore. I mean, <laughs> you know what? I put Pujols back in the outfield. <laughs> I think we would all sign up for that today. Yeah. 
given, you know, the, tr- given the options that yeah. Mike Schultz has at his disposal, who would you go I'm glad I got that clarification. So, uh, so yeah, I think I think you, you think about kind of the choices, and there are several right now. I like Tommy Edmond at third better, and I like him in the outfield. I, I want him in the lineup, but I want him at third, and I want Carpenter DHing. Uh, now, again, that's kind of you know, Carpenter and or Brad Miller, but I just I just want Tommy Edmond in the lineup, but I just don't think he's an ideal outfielder at this point. Uh, you know, I think Bader Bader needs to be in center. Uh, I still think Tyler O'Neill brings you something uh, that that can be impressive in the outfield. And at this point, I want Ravello in the lineup. And, and we're, we're excluding uh, uh, Dexter Fowler at the moment because we're not sure he's going to be coming back. But honestly, he was playing better than any of them uh, when he left. But I think at this time, I, I like Ravello playing uh, because I think he has a better at that, uh, you know, time, that after that, I feel like he's going to do some damage, and so and that's where we'd be right now. Now it doesn't mean Lane Thomas can't be in that picture. It doesn't mean that uh, at some point, uh, you know, we can get Dylan Carlson back in that picture. But I'm just not sure that either of those guys are there right now. So, Ricky, that's where I'm headed next is Dylan Carlson. Is you know the uh, Springfield that camp coming to a close very soon? Mm-hmm. Is in my opinion, and being a young player, I got a lot of experience by being up for the playoffs. Even though yeah. I didn't even play a game, yeah. I knew what was to come in the future. Is the Cardinals play to bring him up from Springfield? And you know, it'd be great to maybe get him in in the rotation again out in the outfield if things haven't gotten better. But if nothing else, for just the experience of being there with the guys, yeah, James, there's no question. I mean, just being around it is, I think, part of uh, part of what you assimilate and you kind of learn from, and it and it helps you down the road. There is no question about that. And you know, this is a pennant race, and it is you know, it's going to be the players, and it's going to be you know, there's no fans there, but it is pretty kind of an amped up feeling for for a young player, and there's a lot to learn about it. And uh, you know, he's kind of a sponge anyway, so he's going to learn quickly. Uh, you know, I think the reason he was sent out initially was because he was starting to kind of spiral in the wrong direction. But with the camp closing, I know that the taxi squad can be increased. Now, I'm not even 100% sure of the number, but I know there'll be more players and several will be at Bush Stadium actually going through their own workout and be around. And so, yeah, I'd like to have him around it for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, you know, you don't want to kind of keep him in that kind of negative swing pattern that he was in when he was sent out, but but boy, he's still got a bright future. He's going to be an everyday Cardinal outfielder for 10 plus years. I don't have any doubt about that. Ricky, final question that I've got for you here. Jack Flaherty on the mound for the Cardinals today. He has not gone more than five innings since the opening night against the Pirates when he looked so good and it looked like the Cardinals were about to get off to a nice start, but he hasn't gone past five since then. How significant is this start for him today, given how depleted the Cardinals' bullpen is today? Well, you'd like to see Jack, and of course the two starts that we had yesterday helped that matter with, with what Kim and Ponce were able to do, and so I feel a little bit less nervous about it than I would have two days ago. Uh, but for Jack, I think for Jack's sake and for the Cardinals' sake, you know, he's the guy. He needs to be out there for seven-plus innings and just be the guy that says, hey, my turn, you're, you you lose. And that's kind of the Bob Gibson era moment where it's like, you know, we got Flaherty, who you got, and, and our guy's better than your guy. I mean, there's something about that that is critical in the playoffs. And what's been tough for Jack is getting deep because for some reason, the way his stuff is playing right now, guys are fouling off a lot of pitches and he's throwing 40 pitches in two innings, which, which kind of negates the idea of him going deep into a game. So he's got to find a way to get quicker outs, maybe use a sinker more than the riding fastball up in the zone uh, and not try to get the swing and the miss. You know, I, I learned in the minor leagues, and this is a, kind of a silly thing to learn, but a, a guy from the big leagues came down on a rehab assignment and he watched me pitch 
And I had a bunch of strikeouts one game, but I threw a lot of pitches in double eight. He said, he said, you're going to have to learn that you can't strike out a batter until you have two strikes on them. And it's like, well, you know, I kind of know that. I mean, that's kind of in the rule book. I get that. <laughs> but, but, but his point, but his point was, you can't go for the nasty pitch every time. You've got to go for a pitch that 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 you think will, will produce weak contact early in the count. And I think that's that's what Jack is searching for. And when you get to two strikes, yes, put him away. But you don't need to put him away on the first pitch. He's Ricky Horton, Cardinals broadcaster. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Ricky H forty nine. Rick, we always appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and your family. My, my pleasure, guys. Good to be with you. You got it. That is Rick Horton joining us here on 101 ESPN. Found it interesting that he said he would like to see Tommy Edmond back at third. And then he quickly mentioned, and Matt Carpenter at DH, of course, that would mean Brad Miller not getting the starts at DH. And, Jamie, you mentioned this earlier that he's been cooling down, and you're my resident Cardinals expert, so I should have trusted you on this implicitly. <laughs> Hadn't looked at the numbers of late. In his last 12 games, he's batting 135 with a 255 on base percentage, and he has just one extra base hit in that stretch. He has cooled down significantly yep. since that big um, series against Cincinnati. It's It's been a little bit of a slog for him. Melzi, you're still our guy. You know that. Just need you to heat up a little bit, buddy. Also, is, is Ferrari going to take a little bit of a victory oh lap on ravioli is that is that going to happen i don't know i i ob- almost fell to the ground when i heard that oh ravioli going in for ferrario still know why you guys don't uh, listen to me more <laughs> he did have the brad miller take early in the season had the kk take nah i don't know if i give you oh, that come one. on I, I don't know if i give you the kk i take. shot back when bk we said he was did. nervous so when you but you're on, on your own island for milsey first for sure and then Ravello. ravioli those were your guys. When you call it on every backup quarterback, though, when one comes in and does well, you can't you can't get all of the credit for it. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Cross things over with the fast lane. Brad Thompson in studio. BT, what'd you think of your doubleheader for Monday Night Football last night, man? Hey, good, clean, fun right there, especially if you, you you had a little teaser going and you ended up winning both sides of the Monday Night Football. Oh, so did you sweat out the, the final one? No, no, I felt I, good about it. I, well, maybe a little <laughs> bit. I, I, I thought that. Uh, I thought the Broncos would be able to cover their nine. Like, that's how I felt when I teased it up. So I, I felt okay there. You knew that. Pittsburgh was going to take care of business, even though it started off a little bit shaky. Either way, damn, it was fun to have a weekend full of football. Like, it was fun to actually have stuff. And sure, did I wager on a couple of games? Absolutely. On Sunday, did I have my... Uh, FanDuel the, Paradise Sportsbook out? Oh, I had that going for Brum sure. Brandon. Brandon, that's B-R-A-N-D-O-N. No, uh, that's, that's way too many. It's W-X-O-S-1. That's hard to remember. It I don't is. remember that one. It really is. Uh, but I had the Red Zone channel up. I was getting ready, uh, prepping for the Cardinal game, yet still watching football. This is what it's all about. These are the weeks that we've been missing here for the last, like, four months. So what was your biggest surprise from the weekend of football? Like, if you look at some of the games or some of the players and performances, like, your your one performance that was, like, shockingly good and one that you were like, whoa, that was really bad. Well, I'll just go with the bad because I remember <laughs> the bad ones. I, I don't know how I've officially become this guy, and I don't mean to be. Like, I, like that's not my intention. But I've somehow become the the Browns 
backer. Yeah. Okay. And I, because I, well, hold on. I think, I thought that. I thought they made a good decision with Stefanski. Yeah, I did too. I think that Stefanski will, in fact, be a good decision. I, I like the idea that, hey, look, they're not going to lean on Baker as much. It, he he ran a run-heavy offense before. He'll do the same thing. He'll lean on Chubb. The defense will clean things up a little bit. And I thought they'd be able to move the ball effectively. And I knew they weren't going to win game one, okay? You're playing the Ravens. Things aren't probably going to go your way. I didn't think... <laughs> I didn't think they'd end up scoring six points. Yeah. And that's it. And now their brilliant answer is to, we're going to fire our kicker and bring Double Doink Parky back on I saw board. that. Like, that's and how they're going to fix And maybe trade Odell Beckham. Can you see that? No. No. Well, that, but yeah. it's not helping. Wouldn't be all that crappy. None of that's helping. Mike Francesa reporting that apparently the uh, Browns are interested in trading Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. Really? So that's, that's crap. Good. More of a reason to lean on Chubb. Huh. Okay. Would you guys trade Thursday night football for a doubleheader on Monday night football? Or do you prefer no, the way that I it is? I don't like the doubleheader. I really hate that. To me, especially the Cardinals are on. You get a doubleheader. <laughs> yeah. I can't do Mr. it. Mr. Cardinal over here. <laughs> I'm converted. Well, there is a fan club. <laughs> There's <laughs> <I'm> a like, <laughs> handshake. And you're in. Um, do I get like a fake red jacket too? Yeah, I, I tried. PT uh, <laughs> <laughs> wears a red jacket every year to the first game. Just hoping. I'm working hey, on sir, it a get bit. it over this car over here. I did. No. I, I did try to add a moment of levity over the weekend at, at uh, not oh, during no. obviously, but before Lou Brock's uh, services. All the red jacket guys were, were getting lined up, and Ozzy and Izzy and all those guys, and Brian Finch, who who is in charge of the museum. Uh, and, and I mean, he does everything. Cardinal Hall of Fame. I was like, Brian, where is it, bro? You have, where's my jacket? And he, is, he looks at me and he's like, you idiot. It's funny as heck, fun. though, if one year, Try. the first game of the season, you go and you have your tailor make you a beautiful red jacket. Now, not the same, but close enough to where, and he just started trying to get in line down on the Clydesdales. Mm-hmm. Where's my car? Where's my car? Hey, guys. Where, where's my convertible? What's up, boys? That'd be funny. Ozzy, how are you? <laughs> See if finally somebody says, hey, Brad, you're lost. They would. Yeah, chances are I'm they quickly, would for though, sure. The over-under on that. I'd say quite quickly. <laughs> like, I don't think that I'm going to pass for one of those guys. Would you, though, BK, going back to your original question of the switching out Thursday night football for the doubleheader on Monday, would you do it? No. Um, I've seen a lot of people say that they like this doubleheader on Monday night football. I don't. I, I really don't. I like having Thursday night football, and I like having one game on Monday night. I, I kind of like the setup that they have. Now, if you're telling me that we can move some of the noon kicks to 3 o'clock on Sunday, that would be the schedule change that I would make. I don't need nine games at noon and then three at three o'clock yeah. when you know that at least one, maybe two of those three o'clock games are going to stink. And so now you're really just watching one game at three, which is typically a good one. It's fine, but I would rather kind of format those a little differently than change what it is with Monday and Thursday. I like Monday and Thursday night football. Can we start implementing, and this is a total media guy slash fan thing to say as opposed to thinking about the players at all. I'd like some <laughs> 9 a.m. kicks. Because I want to wake up. That would actually be good. 9 or 10 a.m. And then you follow it consecutively throughout the, like, almost like the NHL playoffs were in the bubble where you're getting games like all day long. Apparently the Major League Baseball playoffs kind of like that as well. They're going to run them. They're going to run them. They're going to run them all day and they're going to figure it out. And it's going to be magical. We missed out on March Madness. Why not have eight games on a given day? (laughs) I feel like we've had sports madness for the last month. We need it drinking out of a fire hose right now. That's what we should be doing. (laughs) How's the field going to hold up, though, like that? Because with hockey, the ice was a concern. 
Um, but I feel like the field, like once you tear that up, there's no like running the Zamboni. The wild cards are going to be in the home markets. It sounds like, and then yeah, it's the DS. I don't think it's it'll only be four games. Yeah, I don't think it'll don't be a start problem. With me. I asked him okay, the question. Sorry. No, uh, um, to, it won't be a problem. They, they're so these grounds crews are so freaking good at what they do. The only thing that really would wear down the batter's boxes and the how mounds. do they do that? By the way, Play. I'm watching the batter's box and the doubleheader. Yeah, and I know they they go over and they rake it, but it looks like they take a piece of like something and it's like just plop it over. It looks like it's a. Well, they get well when they put the big thing on there. Are you talking about when they chalk it or when they're doing? No, it? once the game's starting, they're in there and it looks like they've laid something on top of the batter box. Like they haven't, like I don't know. It looks weird. It's magic is what they're laying right. on there. But they fix all the holes with like clay. You're not getting in there. There's no digging in. Everybody's probably. I, I'm sure there's somebody listening right now. They remember playing high school baseball or playing like legion ball or something where you get on a mound. You're like, oh lord, you're stepping like six inches down in a hole. You're landing in another one. It's unreal. You step on a big league mound for the first time, and it's like it, it's such a beautiful thing. So they'll be fine. The, the fields will be fine. You might get a little turf eating up every once in a while, but nobody's going to care. Especially when, who was it, Lane Thomas' knee dives oh. into the ground? I thought he was going to bust his knee open. Me too. I don't but, know how he was able to get up. But then what you didn't see on TV is right afterwards, grounds crew running out there, fixing that bad boy, making it perfect <laughs> again, replaced the divot, watered it a little. Like they, they kind of go, hey, here we go. <laughs> What's TLC. coming up today on the Fast Lane? Man, BT. we got a lot of good stuff. We're going to be talking about some uh, football. Obviously, the Cardinals' great comeback win and uh, a much-needed victory in the second game. And we got Uncle Charlie joining us today. Adam Wainwright's going to be yeah. with us 4:15 today. So we'll talk all things Adam Wainwright, big league impact. We'll talk about his special birthday. It should be a fun show today. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven, right here on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.